What's good, people? Damn, you know this newborn parenting life is something special. I'm easily ranking it up there with some of the hardest things I've ever had to do, right? I've done SEAL fit slash Navy SEAL hell week type of things over a weekend, you know, sleep deprived for like 24 hours. I've done marathons, Spartan races, Tough mutters. I've crunched on a project and sacrificed my personal life for what felt like a year or more. Definitely been in emotionally taxing relationships and things like this. And this is up there. This takes the cake for sure. I didn't think I'd ever get this episode out. You know, at some point, the nights blurred together and without proper REM or deep sleep, these moments don't get a chance to say from my RAM to my hard drive in my head. All the time I usually have to work on a podcast is typically spent with my baby boy or catching up on sleep or, you know, helping Catherine with something. Add the fact that I'm trying to bank my paternity leave for the end of Catherine's maternity when she's back at work. So hopefully she can stretch out her leave then take advantage of Washington State's FMLA, stretch that out to the end of the year so that by the time I'm spending all the time with him, he'll be around five or six months old and it should be the time together where it'll be more worthwhile, right? He'll be a bit more developed and cognizant of things we're doing together. Right now, honestly, I'm just in survival mode, right? Trying to keep my household alive and functioning and, and from turning into like a, a pigsty. The epic summer break was fantastic. And then I took an extra week off. That's when my boy was born. And now I'm back at work. And that's been challenging. You know, the, the team has been super accommodating for the hours that I'm putting in and being flexible with them. And I kind of cherish it and value having something to go to outside of, you know, speaking baby and household day in and day out. I think it, it helps with the balance, right? But still, like anything, a balancing act. Huge thank you and appreciation and love to everybody with their loving messages, congratulating me and offering parental insight, resources, books, tips, and even sending clothing and toys. Super appreciative of that. So episode 38 is officially one week late, which makes two back-to-back -back late episodes, both taking three weeks instead of the usual two. So while I'm adapting to my new perma-change life as a dad, I'm still looking to see how to fit in the podcast editing. But I'm here to promise you this show will keep going. I've got way too many guests that have been nominated, plus people who have committed to me or told me that they wanted to come on. So at the very minimum, I'll at least get those episodes done before throwing in the towel. Word is bond. You know, we don't, we don't quit around these parts. So now, with all of that out of the way, let's get it. On episode 38 of the Game Developers Podcast, Out of Play Area, we sit down with Claude Jerome, a lead gameplay designer for Firewalk Studios. They're part of the Probably Monsters umbrella operating out of Bellevue, Washington. If you haven't heard of them, Firewalk Studios and Probably Monsters. So reading a little bit about them from their website, it's a new category of game company that builds sustainable game studios through a people-first culture. Firewalk Studios is a AAA studio focused on delivering world-class multiplayer experiences, and they've entered into an agreement with Sony Interactive Entertainment as the exclusive publishing partner for its inaugural multiplayer game. Firewalk was founded in 2018, led by Tony Su, studio head of NGM NSVP of Destiny at Activision, Brian Ellis, game director, previously creative director at Bungie, Elena Siegman, executive producer, previously at Harmonix, Rational Bungie, so it seems to be a bunch of ex-Bungie people with a lot of experience in all those FPSs and huge worlds. 
Claude himself has been all over from Destiny at Bungie, Project Spark at Microsoft, worked at First Playable, Vicarious Visions, he's worked on Skylanders. Who knows, he may have overlapped with Chris Cole from episode 37 when he worked at those two studios. I connected with Claude Jerome from Game Devs of Color, and so please welcome, representing New Jerusalem, aka New Jersey, proudly representing his Haitian American heritage, into Game Dev. Please welcome Claude Jerome, previously recorded on June the 28th. Let's fall the fuck out. Bienvenido, bienvenue, welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast, a show by video game devs for game devs where the guests open up one-on-one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. I saw screenshots of 343's like Halo Forge thing that they mm-hmm. got going on. And so that, you know, it's just visual yep. scripting. UGC, man. It's, there's a lot of power. This is <laughs> it, man. Core yeah. is the thing. My buddy went over there. He was our lead designer. He went over there as a big exec dude. <laughs> that might be the next. We'll see. Step, <laughs> it always bro. feels like know. it. <laughs> uh, you know, like I see all my buddies moving up to like principal and director and I'm like, yeah, but then I say this now, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that position where I'm all hands off. Yep, you same know? here, man. Same here. It's always a delicate dance. I'm trying to find the right balance of I want to bring my experience to the table and shape what we're doing. But yeah, I also want to make stuff. Because you're in your leadership yep, now. Yep. It's the highest level I've been in. <laughs> is it hybrid management where you're like managing and I see him or is it strictly management? Yeah, at Bungie is something similar. Uh, Bungie is a lead game uh, abilities designer. And now I'm a lead gameplay designer, so thinking more about the whole, right? Not just the characters and what they can do, but just, like, the whole gameplay sandbox. That's definitely taking up more of that, like, leadership management kind of time. But Mm -hmm. I still get to do hands-on stuff, actually, to kind of figure out, like, the core feel and, you know, figure out some of these big relationships and, and, like, the really, really core tuning. So, yeah. So does that tend to come when it's kind of unknown territory, right? It's just like, Mm -hmm. you need to get the machete and go trailblaze a path before... Mm -hmm being able to lay a groundwork or lay a framework or a direction a little bit right like it's you know we're working on something from the ground up never built before a new team everybody's coming with different experiences we're trying to find our space in between other games of our genre right and so Mm -hmm. like there is some unknown territory and so like the leads tackle that from different perspectives gameplay is thinking about like okay what is what are going to be the the tenets of our gameplay that set us aside but also what are the tenets that are like the the rock solid foundation that everybody kind of comes to expect from the mm-hmm. genre um yeah and that's the same thing you know art's looking at it from their lens of like how do we make something that feels different than they've ever seen before so everybody's trying to find that space yeah and then also in the way that unifies the whole project like a voltron kind of thing right yeah voltron love that analogy <laughs> yeah you can't just like find an art style that no one's done before if it doesn't make sense for everything else right everything has to be in alignment like sort of up and down the project mm-hmm. so that's hard super hard and that's where you know if the job comes out of in the weeds doing stuff and it's a lot of talking to people and it's a lot of like vision management you know like trying to like help everybody see the same picture and that takes literal years <laughs> yo literal years thank you for calling that out claude yeah. because i don't think enough people stepping into this type of role realize that right they think it's just like a one and done or whenever yeah. new people join the team hey just go read the wiki or whatever yeah. but like yeah it's a never-ending job and i'm bad with this right like i mm. i struggle with repetition and I think you need to just make it a part of your like daily routine, right? Mm-hmm. Repeat the things you said Monday, 
that you said last month, mm-hmm. that you said mm-hmm. last year, that you said last summer kind of thing. It never, it never loses value. What's interesting with that, yeah, it's super on, on it. Like, you know, we've, that's where pillars come in, right? Like having like things that the team can put on a board or, or you know, virtually in a doc or whatever, or like pen it to yeah. Slack or something where everybody can see it and talk about it at the same time. But like, you also need to be able to let go of those things as you discover what works, what doesn't work, Ooh. right? And that's been another big part of this journey of doing it from scratch. It's like figuring out what we want. Sometimes it's different than what we thought it was and mm-hmm. adapting the product design as a whole to things that we discovered in like the minute to minute or like the flow of the game or what people are resonating with. Right. And so you got to adapt. Right. And like, it's mm-hmm. hard to do that with it, especially like we're getting used to working remote. So learning how to communicate that way has been really cha- challenging. Have you learned anything juicy over the pandemic and having to transition mm-hmm. to this kind of remote work life? Yeah. I mean, personally, my journey is fantastic. Everybody's got a journey, I guess. That yeah. I was like, yeah. I thought I was I was gonna hate it for a long time. Like you know, I had a toddler at home, so it was really hard. Before she was in daycare, it was really hard. It's like in and out, hard to figure out how to focus, how to get the time at my desk, and all that kind of stuff. You, you were already a parent, before yeah, the exactly, pandemic. yeah. Wow. And so trying to figure out how to do that and work and being able to contribute while all that's happening, but also being able to be a good father, right? <laughs> like trying totally. to do this right, <laughs> that's a big deal. But as she went to daycare as we got kind of settled into communication patterns of tools and stuff. And I got my desk really kind of set up and, you know, I started to feel more comfortable. Um, I like it. Like I get to focus a little bit more when I'm really in those like hard, hard problems. And yeah, in terms of like how we've adapted as a, as a whole, like with kind of juicy secrets we've learned, I think the one piece that stands out to me the most is we get to hire more broadly, which is great. So you get to Word. hire people in different states, different people, different, you know, in some different countries and stuff, we get to figure out logistically how that works i think yeah, still you, but you, like yeah you're not limited in the talent exactly. that you can go after now yep it's amazing so it lessens the ability to make that excuse of like oh the pool's small if people don't want to move out to seattle or whatever right? mm-hmm. it's like, nope we got a bigger pool now talent is not so limited or you know the, mm-hmm. the merry-go-round of the musical chairs in this city as, yeah. as crazy that <laughs> was merry-go-round so real yeah. so real <laughs> yeah uh yeah so you get to you know you get to break that up and you know it gives us an extra edge on diversity right like when we're trying to hire more diverse Lucky, candidates yeah. like a lot of people like you know i went out to the game devs of color a few years ago uh, multiple times back in new york and it was the most diverse group of the game devs i've ever seen Dude. but a lot of them don't really feel like they want to move out of the area for a bunch of good valid reasons mm-hmm. and so this is you know good way of getting opening a door and saying like you don't have to like seattle's not for everybody <laughs> totally yeah especially if you're a, a northeaster or east coaster mm-hmm. absolutely yep. right there's mm-hmm. a different vibe different culture it's cool not to have to uproot and acclimate. Yeah, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. What do they call it, man? Like the the freeze or the passive aggressiveness or yeah, whatever? Yeah, the Seattle freeze. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. and I, I think like that's a big part of your ability to grow and do your work well is being comfortable. And so if you're in that space, you're like maybe you're near your family or maybe you just like, you know, like the area you have, you know, someone bought a house or something or they like the puppies and just want to be home with them. Like all that kind of stuff, like. <laughs> just contributes to the comfort that allows you to then do your best work right so. heck yeah yo, yo speaking of game does the color that was awesome that's where i connected with you i believe yep. right it was like the, <laughs> the 2021 speaking of yeah. pandemic life and whatnot yep, over the internet yeah all the fucking internet you're like yo dude yeah. like what you about let's talk let's chat and i'm like yo i love your shit bro like you came you did one of my favorite presentations that year really talking about destiny game feel right like i don't mm-hmm. know if it was you know making a grenade or just making yeah all that weapons. kind of stuff yeah <laughs> dude it yeah. was awesome 
I was super jealous after I saw yours because it was like you had so much tangible game examples. And, you know, mm -hmm. the topic of the talk, you would be shooting yourself in the foot if you didn't set it up that way. But mm -hmm. I was like, damn, man, I wish I had more more gifts and more yeah. <laughs> more examples. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I appreciate that, man. It was a ton more work than I thought it was going to be. I enjoyed every second of it, though. It was like, uh, except for the seconds leading up to it. I was really nervous. But, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like. In terms of piecing it together, like it was helping me like crystallize some of the stuff that I learned working on that stuff. Like I, I you know, explaining something sometimes is a good way of teaching it to yourself, right? Like kind of thinking about how you're going to translate the things that are in your head, and sometimes that makes you like sort of crystallize the way you think about it a little differently. Like a lot of growth came from that, and yeah, I, I just I remember when I was in college, like thinking about game design like for the first time and stuff, like. I was able to look at some PVC talks that got into really in the detail, like Jamie Grease, Greasemer's talks from Halo days, you know, he had a series called Design in Detail, and he got really okay. in the weeds about how they balance weapons, about how they build stuff. And I remember looking at that as someone who barely has made a game before, <laughs> and just thinking about like all the stuff that I had thought about, it was like opening my mind up, and it was because it was in the weeds. And so I'm always yeah. inspired by talks like that or websites like that, you know, like blogs or Twitter posts or whatever, where it's like, this is exactly why we set up the way this enemy rotates every frame or whatever, right? Like just yeah. like little things because big impacts on little things add up to making the whole game feel totally different. Say that again. It's like big things <laughs> add up. Big, it's like, you know, like a, a, like a Destiny, we talked about it as like a thousand cuts, you know, to make something really good. Like if you keep making, you know, little adjustments here and there, like it add up, like you don't really notice each individual little adjustment. Um, okay. And so the way I think about it, it's like you can make a really big impact on a small thing and if you do that enough, the whole product starts, starts to feel different in a way. People can't even, like, describe it. They're just like, it just feels different. Word. And that's what, like, you know, a lot of that game feel talk was based on stuff like how the grenade bounces when you hit it at different things or, like, um, yeah. some of the performance that, like, helps communicate what's going to be there or how the enemies react to the performance before, after, during, all that kind of stuff. Just little, little things here and there. It's all mm -hmm. that up. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, you know, it's, it's totally different ends of the spectrum, right? There's people that are more macros, people that are more micro. Mm -hmm. Yep. Where would you classify yourself? I would say, listen to your talk, you know, I would have put you more micro, mm -hmm. but I think over the past few years, I wonder if, if where do you classify yourself on that spectrum? Yeah. Uh, I would say definitely more on the micro side. Um, I mean, I, as I grow, I'm thinking more on the macro. Thinking word. Yeah, you know, like a, like I think a lot about how like at the micro level, I'm affecting things at the macro level. And the things that I tend to think about at the macro level are, you know, I work on like competitive games a lot. And as a gamer, I play a lot of like fighting games and stuff. And so I think a lot about the back and forth between people. And yeah. so to me, those micro, the focus on the micro, the focus on like frame data or like, you know, acceleration returning or whatever, like all that stuff communicates your intent. And then when your opponent can see your intent, they're reacting to your intent and they're giving your intent. And so there's this back and forth that's like effectively a conversation. <laughs> so like mm -hmm. at the macro level of a fighting game or a shooter or whatever people are having conversation with each other they're like learning about each other like okay you move to left and right you're jumping this way you're gonna come around the corner this way you're gonna crouch you're gonna do your chart your charge moves when i do this and you're learning you're literally learning about each other and reacting to that and that's like in a lot of ways like yeah for, for myself and i know a lot of other gamers like super introverted that's the way we talk to people too like it's Word. like it's, <laughs> it's you know so Word. i think a lot about like the story at the macro level, the way people talk to each other, really, like, you know, how are we setting up that expression to be deep enough that like you yourself come across in the way you make choices in the game? 
So I think about both. Like I position myself as a micro designer, but I am thinking about the like big picture still. <laughs> it really resonates and it hits a point with me thinking about how back in the day, even today, right? Like no words are being exchanged. Maybe nowadays people are more mm -hmm. vocal because I don't know, they're streaming or we got to yeah, talk yeah. over headsets. Sure. But yeah. back in the day, like couch co-op or side by side mm -hmm. in arcades or whatever, no words were said. Yeah. But like you said, a ton of words being said through the expression yeah, ton of the of stuff. controls in the gameplay. Yeah. And it didn't even take like, you know, getting to the level of like fidelity that we have now with games, right? Like one genre that I love still that I talk to my buddies about, he works on like God of War and stuff, uh, is the beat em up genre, like the side scrolling beat em ups, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, they're super simple. They're kind of coming back right now with like, you know, new, new TMNT. Shredder's Revenge. Shredder's yeah. Revenge is so good. And like, I remember him telling me about like, yeah, because we worked on a game like that in college and we talked about like the big brother, little brother experience. And I had that when I was growing up my older brother in those kind of games and like again like you know we're different ages thinking about things differently but when we're playing that game we're communicating about everything like who's going mm -hmm. where who's doing what like who tends to be the guy who beats up these guys who tends to be the guy who eats the pizza when he has full health who <laughs> you know what i mean like all <laughs> these little things like, yeah yeah and so you get to know each other even though you're just sitting down playing a game not talking to each other like you're actually talking to each other it's like and so there's something magical about that that comes from the mechanics um, mm -hmm. that I still love think about but yeah I can talk about that forever though <laughs> hey man I think that's okay if we kind of venture this entire <laughs> episode into that realm I know nobody will be mad at that for sure fair Hell enough yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. taking a step back talking you know we're talking about academics where you came up what have you found navigating your career Claude I know mm -hmm. our ancestors or, or family members are island mates uh, you know, the island of Hispaniola, I'm yeah. on the East Coast, you're on the West Coast. That's right. <laughs> and I honestly can't tell you that I know another Dominican that I've worked alongside of on the team. Maybe, you know, yeah. across sister studios or something, but I couldn't tell you that I, you know, shipped the game with another Dominican person yeah, on yeah. the team in the trenches, right? I, I'm curious how, how your experience has been. Yeah, I feel the same way. I don't think I've ever met someone who is Haitian who makes video games. <laughs> mm -hmm. I actually, you know what? I guess Reggie, Reggie, Philip. Um, yeah, uh, if he's a man. Yeah. I don't know him, right? So I guess I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he's in the game. He's like more cool biz dev, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, like, I, like, it's rare, man. Like, it just, it's crazy. Like, even just, you know, people of color and, and our jobs and stuff, like, yeah, at Max, I work with maybe like three or four other black game devs in the same studio, like ever. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that's like, I was at Bungie. I guess we had a little bit more than that, but it was like, you know, we had at the time, I had like 700 people and like still probably a single digit <laughs> number of, yeah, of single yeah, folks that look like me. Um, so pretty nuts. Like it's, it's rare. It's hard being tokenized in that sense too. You know, it's hard both externally and internally, you know, just like being mm -hmm. in that position, thinking about what people are thinking about. Um, the expectations that come with that, uh, like you said, our journey isn't easy either. <laughs> and so we got a lot that's riding on it, right? Yeah, man. I know mm -hmm. for myself, I kind of like, I just kind of put the blinders on, right? I was just like, hey, mm -hmm. going through my, going through my program, right? When I was doing engineering comp sci, mm -hmm. I already kind of saw the same vibe, you know? It, yeah, it was only yeah. so many that kind of made it through or were interested in that, in that mm -hmm. field. For whatever reason that you you know i think we're doing much better at now right just mm -hmm, awareness mm -hmm. and, and, and programs then i felt like i actually grew being around very different culture and mm -hmm. and speaking and 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 music and all and food mm -hmm. right like i was like oh mm -hmm. this is awesome but I, I i felt like 
the reverse is also true. Like I, I never got to really kind of share what I was about and kind of mm-hmm. put that forward on a team in like Austin, Texas or yeah, yeah. San Diego, California or whatever. Yeah. But, I have a similar feeling, man. I, I feel like, you know, like you come from a place that is your own and no one else can totally know that unless they're in that sort of experience. So yeah, being a Haitian American, like even like just growing up, I didn't even think about my Haitian heritage that much uh, because I was trying to assimilate what sort of like yeah. what black American culture was like, what my friends were like, you know, and then in college, you know, trying to get into like the tech places and stuff like, there's even less of people that look like me. And so I could, I could barely even sort of, you know, find that who I was before I was putting all the energy towards like a, that assimilation kind of feel. Yeah. Um, and so now as you know, I'm growing up, like I'm trying to grow into like figuring out more of what I said earlier, even honestly, like how to put myself into the game. Like how to like, mm-hmm. how do I put myself into my work, the people around me and stuff. And so I'm trying to embrace more of like all that as I grow up and stuff, especially, you know, thinking about my kids, like I want them to yeah. like be who they are and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, like, I think it's just a lot of pressure to fit in and like, you know, you come into this environment that feels like everything's already kind of has momentum. And so mm-hmm. you just kind of want to like, you know, figure out how you slot into that as opposed to thinking about expressing yourself and bringing it all to the table. Cause it feels honestly, a lot of times disruptive in a way that's dangerous like it shouldn't feel disruptive but it is it shouldn't yeah you know it's like agreed you know, if you're in a meeting and you're talking about you know some character representation or not even representation just like a character and you want to bring up something about representation like mm-hmm. if and it and the momentum's already going in the direction of what's normal right like they're just talking about grizzly white dude holding the gun and you want to like talk about a little bit something <laughs> different like you're automatically disrupting it's a good thing to disrupting but it feels bad because yeah. you're the only one right and so it puts that like sort of that pressure on you that's why i said like externally and internally and so you know for my own growth has been trying to let go of some of that internal pressure to just say like you know what mm-hmm. fuck it i'm here i'm this is who i am if you don't like that that's your problem that's not my problem yeah <laughs> dude i like that i like that yeah. right like just just making it a thing bringing mm-hmm. it up to 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 the surface where it's like I can empathize, right? I've been in those, what it feels like to be in a meeting where, you know, we've been blocked for so long we, and we're mm-hmm. finally reaching consensus and everybody's rocking. And the type of person I am would hate to kind of, hold on, man, let's check out this off ramp, mm-hmm. but pump the brakes. We, we haven't even kind of explored other avenues. Like, yeah, this is mm-hmm. awesome. But, you know, what if we kind of apply some other things like and, mm-hmm. and ask, let's know, bring different music into the picture. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, like, Bro. Yeah, it just feels, and if you're the only one, feels weird that's it feels like it man. feels weird and suddenly but, you're responsible for it and explaining what that is even right and so like you can't even you know what that the depth of that cultural pieces are right and so you don't want to misrepresent that either so you don't know nobody wants to be one person representing anything tough right yeah going back to like being able to bring more people into the fold right to, mm-hmm. to help offload that that weight right it is mm-hmm, a weight mm-hmm. and and i also like to push each other to Bite the bullet for the mm-hmm. sake of being the only people present in the room that can can speak to it, right? And, mm-hmm. and I'd be curious to see what how other people have arrived at that. But yeah. it it is awesome the seldom opportunities that do arise where some teammate takes the time to question or some mm-hmm. producer, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, hey, let, let's table it here, let's pause yeah. this, let's think about this, let's come back to it, let's let's explore this brainstorm. Yeah, I mean, I think about it too as like, you know, I look at it with the like social progress lens in general of like mm. someone's always sacrificing and having a harder time than the person that's subsequent from them. And that's just, yeah. that's progress, right? It's like, you're going to have yeah. a hard time so that someone else has an easier time. And yeah. so I think about like, 
you know, like you said, I had a horse blinders kind of perspective as well of just like trying to get my work done, trying to be the best I can be. So my yeah, work yeah. speaks for itself and no one's questioning my identity where I'm coming from or anything like that. Like if I have the best work, I have the best work, period. And so Hell I spent yeah. that kind of effort on everything such that it got me to the position I am in where I'm more of a leadership position. I have more impact and influence of what we're making and I'm just there. <laughs> so like someone who's like looking at, like I always try to get as many opportunities as I can to like be present as a leader in the game industry so that someone can see me. And Hell so like yeah. that is possible, right? Cause that's, I didn't mm-hmm. do that. Like I saw you know, pretty uniform view of what a lead looks like. <laughs> Indeed. But I was, yeah. So that's huge. Yeah. Bro, I, that's why I love that you coming on to the show, being able to feature you, right? Being able to say, look at what the leadership mm-hmm. looks like these days. It's possible. Right? We can do it's it. It's possible, yeah. baby. It's possible. Yeah. Fantastic. So talk to me about where you are today. You are in Seattle. You're mm-hmm. in Bellevue. Where, where, where are you and where are you working at? Yeah. So Seattle, greater Seattle area. I'm living up in Kirkland right now. Um, weirdly, I've been here for 10 years now, but I still think about, like, yeah, <laughs> I still think about, I got from Jersey. So I, I don't really, I, every time someone asks, I'm like, oh, I'm from Jersey, but I've been here for like 10 years. So it's pretty weird. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, now I'm at probably monsters, um, which is, you know, a family of studios. And so within probably monsters, I'm at firewalk studios, making, making stuff happen. Um, been here for about three years since the very beginning, not super very beginning, like since really early firewalk like and really early probably monsters like sub 30 employees you know like wow pretty small yeah. uh, ground floor man yeah which is really cool to be part of like yeah uh, working at bungie was really cool being part of a legacy was really cool but being able to start a legacy that felt like something i would have to do at some point right and so that's, that's, really that's destiny that. right you, when you talk about legacy you're talking about the destiny yeah legacy, exactly like then... being at bungie working on destiny which is like you know, a spiritual sort of connection to Halo and, and their roots and everything. Yeah. And I loved Halo growing up. Like I played, oh God, me played too, all man. the games, but I read all the books, like, you know, hundreds of hours. It's one of my favorite games of all time, Halo 2. Um, and so just being able to be part of that legacy was amazing and learn from that. But I, like having an opportunity to do that from scratch, also amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so really excited about that. Yeah. What was it like? Was it like people just at Bungie were kind of talking about this in, in secret in, in secret meetings. And then it's like, all right, we're doing this and we're jumping and we all jumped at the same time. Or it was just kind of like Some, a little bit, a little, like it was, yeah, everyone had different reasons for going like it. Yeah. I'll be honest and say like, we're working on destiny. It was a roller coaster and to put it lightly, <laughs> like, you Is know, making destiny a game one or destiny two. Both. I started on taken King for destiny okay. one, which was like one of the bigger expansions. Um, and, you know, trying to figure out how to support a big ass game with a super high quality bar, um, you know, with a really hungry, you know, user base that just is constantly looking for something new. Um, and, you know, we didn't like the way we innovated on on what people were looking forward to, like, you know, subsequent releases and stuff was yeah. never like like we never wanted to make it purely like expected you know statistical outcomes like oh you got a plus 100 this this release or like mm-hmm. we changed the color from green to blue or whatever right like we wanted to like <laughs> try to make things you could hold and play plays your hand play your hands that like felt like they had personality that felt like they were completely different things that you could think of and so it's always this like heavy creative burden to make the next thing <laughs> and like yeah. and it never stops right it's like you're making the next thing it's out 
but before it's out, you're already on the next thing. And so you gotta be thinking about the next thing before you're making this current like it's it's crazy. So it's live games. It's a lot. Man. Live games are super hard. Um and Bungie God. was doing it for the first time in a really ambitious way. Um and it took several iterations of that game to figure out a good rhythm. And I people, you know, didn't all stick around for the ride, myself included. Mm-hmm. Like I stuck around for a while, I was there for four years. Um but it, it just took a toll. So I just I felt like I needed some space to like do my own, you know, do something on my own that like felt like I could let go of some of the like the you know negativity that built up with me. Um, mm-hmm. and so nice some to other, reset, man, and start yeah, fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was you know that was before that was right before I was about to have my first kid, and so I was really thinking about my whole self. <laughs> you know, like what do I yeah. what do I want? And you know, this opportunity presents itself, so that was great. Like you know, uh, probably monsters was started by uh, former Bungie people as well in a lot of ways, and so I knew some of them, and so I could kind of talk about things. And, um, I was looking at some other opportunities too, but that one really stuck out to me because it was like people I I knew that I could trust their sense of values and sensibilities and you know kind of feel like I was part of something that I I knew a little bit too, so it wasn't mm-hmm. a full risk. Um, so yeah, jumped over, tried that out, amazing <laughs> immediately. Amazing. Like yeah, going from a seven hundred person team to like we had like on Firewalk. Yeah, some like 15, 16 people. Yeah. Uh, so it was just tight. We were just moving fast, like just trying stuff out. It was really cool. Um, wow. Yeah. Had you, had you ever had that before in your career? That that small, tight, super mm-hmm. high velocity, super agile mm-hmm. environment? Yeah, a little bit, but you know, never with that quality bar, right? Like cause I, yeah. I, I worked on like small teams, you know, in college and small games when I was in my, you know, my first job was a, a place that made Nintendo DS games for kids. And so like, you know, I actually thought our quality bar is high for what we were building for kids, but like in terms of like AAA, first playable, yeah, yeah, first yeah. playable, um, amazing experience, a bunch of reasons, um, and like I said, like I think what we were making for because we play test with kids, so we kind of knew like wow. the impact it had on them and stuff, um, and so yeah, I, I think about that, but like as like a positive thing, but you know when I think about the like sort of quality bar, quote unquote, of a AAA, you know, big big thing like big flagship kind of product like i never had a small team with that ambition and so it's mm-hmm. interesting to have a little bit of both right it's like how do we get there with the smallish team like you know our team's much bigger than 15 now but <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah this is interesting and it was good to like flex those skills again right like going to my big studio with a pipeline that's already kind of set up to like mm-hmm. you know start starting from scratch learning a new engine learning how to like set up you know pipelines and, and stuff for the stuff we're going to build like writing specs for systems that didn't exist yet as opposed to like specs for extensions on systems you know like, yeah yeah dude i'm i'm hyped to finally have someone from probably monsters on the show <laughs> because i i the little bit i understood of how it's set up was super interesting and i don't mm-hmm. know if any other place is set up the same right is it, yeah, it kind of like it's pretty unique i think there's like um there's one more in California that I forget the name of that's sort of similar, but yeah, like the way we're set up is, is really interesting. It's, um, probably monsters is like I said, it's like a family of studios. And so yeah. the, the structure of it, the core of it is supportive of all the studios. And so I, I like to think about the metaphor as like, uh, the NBA where like the NBA is an organization that has teams, which have their own mm-hmm. individual management, um, you know, franchises like, you know, culture, even players, obviously, um, and they get to operate all individually on their own. But they're all mm-hmm. part of this big umbrella. And so that's kind of how Probably Monsters is. Where the benefit of that is that the structure that you always need for any studio, like HR, you know, system, like, you know, uh, back end systems, um, 
you know, literally desks, <laughs> like getting space, it's all, you know, insurance, all the stuff that you're going to need for the sort of people oriented yeah, aspect of game part. development. Yeah, that's like kind of set up already. So the studios can basically focus on their creative ambitions, how they're going to set up their culture, how their teams are going to work, right? And so it just gets you immediately going on Damn. what you want to build as opposed to like sort of the overhead, right? With a nice safety net, I imagine. So you have the HR, I guess you have like IT resources, like, you yep, know, yep. getting your computer set up, network yep. issues. Yep. Um, I guess source control management. Yeah, file, like they help us with all that storage. stuff. Like it's it's That's pretty nice. amazing. Like, cause again, it, it helps you feel smaller in the sense that you get to focus on the thing you want and the people that you're talking to on a day-to-day basis are all focused on that. But once you need the help for structural changes or, you know, whatever, that's already being handled by someone else who's just focused on that. So it's pretty nice, right? And and as the studio, as each, you know, as we get more studios built in, then our overall structure grows, our overall capacity grows, our overall capabilities grow, right? Mm-hmm. Like insurance yeah. gets better, structures get better, like, you know, all this kind of stuff gets better for everybody. It's pretty do, cool. Do you, so, so then you have the individual studios under the Probably Monsters Association. Mm-hmm. Then... Do you guys get to collaborate or share resources or assets, or is it really kind of essentially thinking about it like completely individual studios, but yeah, you share those those shit that shared pool of resources up one layer? It's a little unclear still. It's, okay. it's developing. I think there's some of that, right? Like as a as the entire association, we get you know all hands, or we get to hang out, or like talk about the future of a company, and we get. We used to have like some design syncs even across studios. Yeah, uh, that really gets cool. I like hearing yeah, that. it's hard because sure. each studio, like I Schedules said, is independent. Right? Well, for sure on the logistical side, but even on the like legal side, right? Like each studio is individual in the sense of being able to sign up with different publishers and have a different okay. you know, projects that have different, you know, even hardware or whatever, right? And so like there's some sense of security there that the like partners will want to know about of like, hey, like sure. this can't get out whatever right and so yep there's some walls for sure and i think we're trying to still evolve like you know where those walls stop us where don't they like how, how much can we share tech how much can we share knowledge about yeah. you know different teams are working on unreal or whatever like how much can we say like hey don't do that <laughs> yeah, yeah warn them right like yeah, yeah like i'm curious what prop like what's the stake of ownership from the studio mm-hmm. level to the probably monsters level and do you do you have access to each other via slack you know do you have yeah, all the yeah all right that's yeah all we right, can so talk that, like that it's, feel it's, more yeah like we have like a shared network to be able to talk and stuff and and mm-hmm. we have a shared building so once we're you know occupying that and stuff like second floor has x studio third floor has whatever studios like they're we're around each other so they, it is it is it is connected feeling you know mm-hmm. but there's just some areas that are of gray of like yeah like don't touch that but like we can talk about like hey i tried doing this in unreal's localization system or whatever so like yeah. i learned these lessons um, so like that's that. public knowledge right mm-hmm. yeah just kind of we're devs in the same room kind of mm-hmm. make stuff so <laughs> water cooler conversations yeah yeah like there's there's a connection for sure can you talk about a moment where it felt like oh wow this is really a powerful setup compared mm-hmm. to kind of the traditional single studio you know whatever yeah i think i mean honestly work from home transition like that mm. was that would have been I mean, that has been a nightmare for everybody, right? Like trying to figure out sure. how to do that out of nowhere um, logistically is just super challenging. And so having a whole organization set up to focus on that, right? Like they got to set up machines, like 
They got their network security set up. They did all this stuff before everybody was even thinking about it. We we're all thinking about our families and stuff, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's awesome that we can actually do that. Um, you know, with the with the reliance on that on that core. Yeah, cool, cool. And just like that, it's been what like three years you've been over there. Yeah, which is longer work from home than it was in person, which is pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. How has been how has been the growth of the team throughout mm-hmm. that time? Like you said, you've probably grown more more than the size it was when you were there. Yeah. Yeah, our team's grown. Um, you know, we're about a little over hundred now. Um trying to figure out what our, our target's gonna be, trying to figure out what that means for you know our capabilities. Like we're trying to figure out our game basically, right? Like it's mm-hmm. I can't say much, but we're kind of multiplayer games, so you know, it's like trying to figure that out for the first time as a studio um, while we're building a team, while we're learning how to work from home, while, you know, while we're making a new IP and all this kind of stuff, right? It's pretty wild. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. There yeah. are people that you would ask to say, you know, hey, if I could do it differently, I would have mm-hmm. only bit off one or two of those things as opposed yeah. to all of them There's at a the lot. same time. And we so didn't get the duty to get a choice, right? We got a lot of that. Yeah. Just Everybody did too. So, um, mm-hmm. but it's been interesting. Like, I think for myself, like, Going again from when I got here, you know, 10, 15 people trying to make a thing, just prototyping stuff really quickly. Now, like over 100 trying to figure out our team shape, how we communicate, how we build stuff. Um, so that's been a huge journey, especially for me, just learning how to be a, uh, more of a leader than I've ever been before. Yeah. Figuring out like what, where I can step in and where I shouldn't. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Like I've been thinking a lot about like, yeah, keep using sports, but I'll use it again. Uh, I love sports <laughs> analogies. Friends. Yeah. Like, I think a lot about like a coach and how a lead, a good lead is kind of like a good coach in the sense of, you know, a, a coach isn't out on the field, like doing the, doing the work. Like he's not the one like run the plays, not the one like, like run the fast breaks or whatever. Right. Like he's the one looking at the bigger picture, sort of thinking about what everybody can be doing differently um, to, to sort of get towards the goal a little bit better. And so he understands that you know, they understand the capabilities of each member of their team. They understand the strengths, the weaknesses, but they're looking at the bigger picture and helping them guide their work to meet that, you know, vision. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of that translates down to like, I used to be down, like I said, in the weeds thinking about like how everything fits together. How I'm going to Pete, like, do you, I'm going to tune this grenade or how I'm going to tune this weapon or whatever. Um, And now I still think about that, but I'm thinking about like the person doing that work and how it's going to, what's going to motivate them. Like what, what are they concerned about? Like what are, what, what are they interested in? Right. And, um, so again, bigger picture. I'm trying to figure that out for myself because yeah, it's a it's a growing pattern for sure. Yeah, that's fantastic. Curious about any mechanisms that you found or adopted that work mm-hmm. well in terms of learning the people on your team, their talents, mm-hmm. the way they like to work, and and yeah. then latching on and being like, okay, this is I'm gonna this works with you, but not with this other person, right? Yeah, I think um, some of the stuff that like is top of mind for me, I guess, in this regard is like. I, there's a lot of sensibilities that like everybody has their own sensibilities. And so Mm -hmm. like trying to create a culture and an environment where it feels like you can bring it to the table is most important. Um, so really it's just about like earlier, like comfort. Um, and so we're trying to like break down the walls anytime it feels like something is attacking you personally. If that makes sense. (laughs) Cause that kind of helps people. Word, right. That, That becomes more of like a. I don't know, man, fight or flight response triggering thing, right? Like, hold yeah. on, we're not even talking about work. I, yeah. I got to, like, defend my honor or be yeah. disrespected or something. Yeah. It's hard, especially, like, if you're, like, alone coming to a new studio, you know, anybody, like, every everything kind of feels like it could be held against you sometimes. And so we want to, like, 
break down those walls first. Like it's kind of one thing I've picked up from both Bungie and Firewalk time. Um, and so that kind of translates down to like, um, having a culture of understanding people of, of who they are, not just what the work they do. So okay. talking about games, talking about what people are into, their families, all like, like just kind of like trying to be a little bit more connected about like understanding someone's personal ambitions, who they are and bringing mm-hmm. that forefront a little more and sharing that yourself as well. So not forcing that out of people. Um, kind of like setting a standard of like, Hey, look, we all kind of talk about this. We're all a little bit vulnerable. Like none of us, you know, have made this game before. Like, let's, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? like, let's, let's try and like take down those walls. And so that's just a lot of like, yeah, group ups and stuff. The other thing, um, that translates to is like the way we talk about our content. Um, and so at Bungie, we had this really good habit of like, you know, getting together as a design group and, you know, the, in the case that I was in, it was like within the sandbox team or the gameplay team, um, we get together every week, you know, multiple times a week sometimes, but like really just like, let's just talk about what problems we're all working on. And someone would share like, okay, I'm working on this. I'm kind of, I can't figure this out. Or like, I'm stuck here. Or like, here's an idea I have. I'm kind of run, run, run by people. And that was everybody. And so including the leads, including the people who were there for a while. And so that, you know, exposes some vulnerability of like, if you see someone who's been doing it for a while, talk about things that are hard yeah. to or, you know, you know, bringing stories to the table of like, oh, this reminds me of this other time that was hard for me or whatever, right? That starts to like create a little bit of a space. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think still like trying to create the expectation that it's not all on one person, it's a team effort. And so if you are stuck, it's not like a reflection of your own problems or ego or anything like that. It's just like, how do we all get past this? Because this is all our, this is all our game, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> no, like this is your section, this is my section. Um, so yeah, I mean that again, like just and, it, and that sort of connects back to thinking about the whole person of like, is this something that motivates the person? Should they be working on this? Like, is this something that like, uh, are they? You know, is their sort of brain sort of more lends itself to this other type of problem? Like, can we move people around? Can we help other people out this way? Like, I just think yeah, I think about the whole picture. Even sometimes changing the design of the game to meet the pe- the, the sort of strengths of the team you have. Um, Interesting. I, I guess you you you, you guys. That's a luxury you have because of the 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 area you're in with kind of defining something from the ground from scratch, up yeah. and exploring. Yeah, you get some opportunities to do that. It gets it's definitely a hard lever to pull, but like it's something that I think can be a superpower, right? If you like mm-hmm. if you can really identify a strength of your team or a person that's working on a thing and adjust its needs and its goals for them, then yeah. they can just do more of who they are and bring that to the table and then it, I feel like the more you can bring yourself into the game, the more it feels like a unique thing. <laughs> totally. Because <laughs> we're all totally. unique people, right? So. Totally. Yeah, like that's a huge thing to leverage your personnel is not everybody, you know, not your team doesn't exist anywhere else. And mm-hmm. if you make it a product that is built to off the strengths of that team, that's a huge competitive edge, right? Mm-hmm. Like I to to put a dumb example around it, right? If you have a team of people who are really sharp at, I don't know, super high fidelity, ultra realistic type setups. Mm. And you're trying to make like a very kind of loosey, cartoony uh, Nintendo Switch game, right? That you're not really using them as effectively yeah. as you can. Yeah. And example. I think I mean, that's, that's a, you know, big example of like a big sort of directional shift of the game. I, mm. I think it comes down to little stuff too. Like, um, you know, the example for me are, are the cases for me are when it really comes down to the way you give feedback, actually, for me, at least like it's, okay. it's easy 
to fall into the trap of looking at someone's work, seeing them, you know, in a position where they're looking for how to get to the next step or they're stuck or it's not working well and see a vision of how you could imagine it coming together and get feedback towards that mm-hmm. as opposed to imagining, understanding more of what their ambitions are and helping them get to that. It's a super subtle difference, right? It's like if you're playing a board game and you're like giving you, it's like, oh, I wish it was like, you know, I'm playing a resource game where it's like, I'm doing this and that. It's like, I wish I was more action in this game. Like, and then these cards would feel more interesting because I could do X, Y, and Z. But it's like, that's not the game you're playing. Like if it's a resource game, like how do you make it more interesting in the ways that it was supposed to be interesting? And I think yeah. like sometimes understanding that difference helps somebody along the things that, you know, already came from who they are because their vision mm-hmm. comes from who they are. Uh, so it's subtle, but it, again, I think it, it, it's shown up for me in a, in a bunch of cases of like, you know, pausing a little bit before I say something, thinking like, that's how I would make this. What are they trying to make? What are they trying to accomplish? Like, yeah. how do I help them get to that vision? It's super tricky, super subtle, but that's something I've been growing towards as well. Yeah, I could really definitely hear the experience and growth coming through there, you know, where you are stepping away from the way you want to see things Mm -hmm. solved, the way Mm -hmm. you would approach a solution and taking a step back, recognizing that, right? And then thinking about it, processing it, and then creating an opportunity to give your reports or your teammate the floor to bring something to the the table, right? And then then kind of gelling on that. Because as designers, right, we're always... We're used to constraints. I think we love constraints. We we mm-hmm. seek them out ravenously to be like, what, what world, what genre, what console, how many players, you know, whatever. And and it's really cool to continue using those muscles for the betterment of the project in a lot of different ways, right? To be like, this type of game, but this person wants to bring an action element to a game that doesn't really have it this way how can we kind of morph yeah and like i said it's it. hard there's not always an opportunity but mm-hmm. i just think even thinking about that changes your relationship with somebody right like, yeah. and, and that's like one of my buddies says it all the time like relationships make games <laughs> and Word, so it's man. really important right to just be thinking about who someone is that you're working with not just the work they're doing uh, just like in that sports metaphor right it's like or analogy or whatever like if your team's a bunch of big dudes in basketball, like you should not be running plays to keep the outside <laughs> safe. So you're like, what are you doing? Like, get in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point, man. You shouldn't yeah. make them all shoot threes, right? You got to get yeah, down. Like, work with what you got. Uh, yeah. It's been a good time there. Like, like I said, we're, I can't talk too much about what we're working on, but we're trying to figure out how to both make a statement about who our company, what our company is, what our values are, what the size of this game is going to be, and all that kind of stuff. So it's really interesting to be a part of this from the, from the ground up. I hear you talking about building a culture mm-hmm. and making it a, a place that's welcoming to people to be open and, and say things, right? I, I, yeah, yeah. This this is the point you made me think about was I remember when I started, it was like, oh, I just want to work on, you know, a God of War or a GTA or something mm-hmm. like that, right? And it didn't matter where it was, what I had to do. That's all I cared about. Or a Street Fighter or a Batman mm-hmm. or something like that. And then as you go on, and you do this long enough, then it becomes more about the people you're building the game with and, and the type of game you're building doesn't really matter that much, mm-hmm, right? It's just mm-hmm. the, the chance to kind of bring it to light with this specific group of individuals, right? Yeah. Like, Two things I'll say there is like building culture has been really interesting, uh, again, from the ground up, like thinking about what affects culture. And so we're, we, yeah, some things like we play test the game every day, like sometimes twice a day for an hour a piece. And so we try and get this place where we're always talking about the, the game, trying to talk with the nuance, trying to show like, hey, this is what we think about. On the people level, it's, you know, when it comes to hiring, like we try to mix up 
all the different interviewers. So it's showing like, hey, this is our this is the breadth of our team's diversity as much as we can show. We don't only talk about the game, we talk about culture. We talk about like, hey, like we're like things that you value from different places you've been and trying to understand the person at their whole level. When it comes to recruiting, like we try and look as many places as possible. We try to make sure mm-hmm. that we're talking to recruiting if we're not meeting our needs. And so like, what can we do to kind of change that up? Reaching out to different groups and stuff like that. Game Devs Color being one of them. And then I think it just comes down to like being really hard about the lines. And so if people cross the line, if people set, someone says something in a play test, it's not okay. Call it out right away. Make sure our leads are the ones like, you know, setting the example and calling those things out so people don't feel like they have to do that from the bottom up, mm-hmm. but they can, right? Like, it's just trying to protect that culture over time is like, you have to be vigilant about it the entire time. Yeah. And when it comes to making hard decisions, you have to do it. It's really hard. Like, we've had multiple cases of, like, problems coming up with someone or someone saying something we shouldn't say. You just have to have no tolerance. And it's really hard when it's a small team and everybody has an impact and you're just, you have to let go of somebody for doing something that they shouldn't have done. Or saying something that like implies that they they can't you know be around someone else and that's not okay. Like how to do that? And it's been really impressive to be a part of a thing where we've decided to do that. It kind of like puts your money where your mouth is when it comes to saying we're people first. Like we have to do that. We have to protect people. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, on a small team where every resource is huge and yeah. the absence of a resource can't lose can somebody make... sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. we did it. <laughs> Man, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you see that in some of these bigger places that have been around for many years, right? Yep. Like I'll just say an act, a blizzard or something. Yeah. Like that, yeah. Right? For sure. Yeah. So you have people who are very senior, mm-hmm. very powerful kind of get to get away with things that you wouldn't normally be able to yeah. get away with. Right. And, and, yeah, you, and could, you could make the claim that it is, Hey, the, their value to the project or the company or the team is just that significant. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and for you and the culture probably monsters to be, hey, people come first over the yep. the, the business and the product. That, that's, yeah. that's a big difference and, and hard to deliver on. We can't let people feel like they're not safe, right? And so if anything is harming mm-hmm. someone's perception of their safety, it's a big deal. And it's like I said, it's happened a couple of times where we had to like make a decision and they've done it. And I think everyone sort of like it's hard to even believe that sometimes because yeah, like, right. I found myself like, do we really do it? Holy shit. Like we did it. <laughs> and it's hard again because it impacts the team. So everybody's kind of feeling it, but it feels for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it keeps you on your toes a little bit too as a team. Now you're on a smaller team, mm-hmm. more agile, more kind of blue sky opportunity, getting to define culture, define standards and practices coming from Bungie for the mm-hmm. time you were there and such a large team and, you know, a huge franchise. And you could argue, right, Destiny being a new franchise, it was still kind of built by the people who built Halo. So you can, mm-hmm. you can see a lot of the... Yeah, a lot of the roots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your time at Bungie, right, and some of the differences that you, you experience now and, and mm-hmm. what it was back then and things you miss, things, yeah. things you're happy have been able to change or things that you purposefully, like, look to change, things like that. Yeah, my journey there was interesting because I went there with the goal, sort of, I had a few goals. Like I was coming from Project Spark where like, I really loved the project, I put everything I could into it, you know, and I felt like I was able to grow in so many areas, but I always felt like I couldn't push the quality in that sort of AAA sense as far as I was starting to learn, I was starting to understand. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was working on combat systems, I was working on, you know, core systems for progressions and stuff like that. And I was thinking a lot about these problems that I haven't thought about before, like 
you know, how to make this melee feel really good, how to make the targeting for the melee feel really good, how to make performance on both sides of the interaction of the impact of that feel like they're super gratifying in a way that like, yeah, it's rewarding your skill, all the stuff. I was starting to think about it for the first time in a professional setting where I could go really deep, but I always feel like it could get to like 70, 80% before we had to move on to the next thing. It was hard, mm-hmm. right? Like I was like starting to finally see the like opportunity to grow. Kind of like if you're like a painter or something, you're like starting to understand shading a little better while you're on one piece. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, and so I was starting to see that, and I just never felt like I had the time to get all the way there. And so when I was looking at Bungie, I was talking to people on the loop, I was picking up on this culture of design-driven quality such that it wasn't just like it looks high fidelity. It was like, this meets the expectations as a player. This is like super deep in a way that you can keep exploring and getting better at forever. And I just kept feeling that. And the people I was talking to in the interviews, and the test, the test is insane. <laughs> I spent forever on it. <laughs> cool. Hold on, hold on. I took the bungee test. Man, what would this do? This would probably have been like, I don't know, 2010 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It was before I got to Rockstar. It was that, that mm-hmm. era of, un, of fun employment. <laughs> I'm curious if it changed. I know some other buddies that took it, but I'm curious yeah. how it changed. I remember awesome design questions, like really mm-hmm. awesome design questions and super open-ended right to see like mm-hmm. your sensibilities and how you're approaching yep, super open-ended yeah build me a gun right or, well, how about we're going yeah. to building a gun or like mm-hmm. hey kind of talk to like prefab or level layout yep yep um just i remember having to write like an essay on like yeah feel, not sure. like game feel how <laughs> <laughs> a shirt test yeah Dude, yeah i don't know i don't know what this themes throughout the years but um it's different per discipline too so like yeah level oh, design okay. or activity design all have different tests and stuff which each, each that's part true kind of figure out but it was there were some shared questions and there was a shared <laughs> sort of i guess look for credit like yeah you know, criteria for quality of like mm-hmm. we're trying to look for people who are really thinking about these problems and again like yeah when i was looking for that like extra 20 30 percent and i saw these tests that implied that kind of like rigor i was like holy mm-hmm. shit like i haven't even i haven't even thought this deep let me think about this, this deep. <laughs> let me sit down and like really get into this because they're clearly putting this out there for me right yeah my my wife is a girlfriend at the time like i was going crazy she saw me like yeah i was like spending every hour i had at home working on it like i remember getting really close to being done and throwing it all away and so it's all trash like i'm not oh, like <laughs> you know it was like i was having such a wow. hard time with that like it was it was tough and it was open-ended so i wanted to be able to like hit the bar and then go above right absolutely but yeah in in terms of detail there like when i was interviewing at some places before that you know you get a design question that's like what do you think of this game or like how would you change this mechanic or something and then it's it is interesting it's definitely open-ended you have a conversation the test i was going through for bungie was stuff like you know rank stack rank every input on a controller that was one of my favorite ones Oh, wow. Specifically for a first-person shooter. I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, how do I get there? It's like every face button and every trigger. Everything every on the controller. Holy like, shit. I remember having a conversation about that in my job. But we never got a chance to get really into it. And so that was a good example of like, man, this is it. I can get like all the way into this as much as I want. Yeah. Geek out to the to Yeah, the super geek degree. out. <laughs> yeah. And that, that vibe, the geek out vibe is important, right? Because it felt like I am in a place that appreciates that, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. have to feel like. This is me getting thinking too much about something. I didn't have to feel like that kind of fear was there. Just thinking yeah. too much was our job. It's like you're supposed to. You're the designer. You're thinking about this too much. That's your job. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we hired you. Right. Yeah. So that was awesome. Yeah. So I went to the test. Loop, loop was amazing. Uh, met a lot of cool people. It felt, definitely felt like it was a good place to grow. Um, oh, you were already in Seattle at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was at Microsoft. 
But um, like, had you been in the office before to like the Halo to Bungie? No, and so it was like, you know, like I said, I'm a huge fanboy, so I was like, oh man, yeah. this is this is it. I'm in the dark. So like, <laughs> I watched these Badox when I was in high school and college and all that stuff. Yo, the dog. Yeah. Yeah, man, that was it. Like, <laughs> I was talking with people I, I worked with were in those Vidox, which was nuts, too. Uh, <laughs> you see the face, like, you recognize the face. Yeah, and you like, the name. trying to, like, stay calm, like, oh, yeah, yeah whatever. And it's like in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Play it cool. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Well which I done. still, like, I still work with people from those Vidox, and I, I'm still in awe because they're amazing people. Seemed like a place that you learned a lot at, right? Yeah, again, like, I, it, was, it was ups and downs in terms of, like, what we're doing, how we're doing it. But in terms of what I've learned, strict up, like I just feel like I grew a hundredfold as a designer there. It's to get into like how, because I feel like, you know, sometimes I want to like share, not just like, this is a neat experience, but like, yeah, how I was able to like take the experience and get the most most out of it, you know, which I you know, try to like share with even people in, in my job now. Like, it's like I got there and you want to observe, you want to listen, you learn as much as you can right away. I felt like so much pressure on myself to like, to show some to like show off and be like, I solved the problem no one else could solve. In reality, that wasn't as important as just learning. <laughs> so like, oh. um, yeah, taking what you have and like really spending time understanding it. So like, for example, I got there and I was working on a couple of abilities. So I was looking at the tools trying to figure out how the abilities worked. And I remember being overwhelmed by that. I wanted to ask questions and all this kind of stuff. And I spent time instead of sort of trying to figure out, like, how am I going to make the thing that's super unique? And I'm super thankful that I had this realization. I was like, I just want to understand how they make anything. I want to understand, like, how deep does this legacy go? So I remember looking at all the tools and trying to ask questions about, like, everything. Because it's really easy to, like, look at something and be like, oh, don't touch that. It's really complicated. And so a good example of that, this is actually in my game field talk, was the grenade trajectory stuff. Like how yeah. I was looking at like the bounces and I was like, what, what is all this crazy stuff? What are all these curves? What are all these like, <laughs> what are all the curves? Yeah. And I tried yep. to take my best stab at understanding it on my own. I like read all the relationships I could detect. I was like, okay, this is like, this is looking at angle of incidents and that, that data comes from this other file and this file, it's all this other stuff. And like, where does that, where does that come from? And I remember having a notebook or I drew out every like system and file that was looking at each other. And I was trying to like, Look at that, a high level one, just like, what are these relationships? And then I would turn to somebody and ask questions eventually, and they would throw out everything I wrote because it was all wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I was trying. <laughs> well, I want to I take a step back on that yeah, one. Yeah, it, that's valuable, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to reverse engineer something on your own, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going to find things that you would never have found otherwise. Yeah, yeah. That you maybe can utilize or maybe understand something else about the game that you wouldn't have yep, otherwise come across. Yeah. But depending on where you are in a production cycle, there's that other side to it, right? Yep. Is the like Clock's the ticking. value <laughs> of the time you're spending. And if you're if you're taking more than 10, 15 minutes on something mm-hmm. and you could ask someone else who can save you mm-hmm. a significant amount of time, right? Like yeah. is that yeah, worth that, it? Yeah. That's the thing, man. I I think that's the skill. Learning yeah. when, when to ask is a skill. I think everybody feels that pressure. Sometimes it's easy to feel embarrassed by that pressure of like, yeah, you're yeah. stuck in it and you're like, I can't figure it out. I'm such a loser. I got to ask somebody, right? Like it's super easy to feel that way. It's not a real yeah. thing. Tools are all bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's no awesome tools. There's no they, perfect they, tool. Everybody's learning. How to, yeah. <laughs> for different reasons. If you, if, if you got to build it, yeah, for sure. You get to build it from the ground up. It'd be a hundred times better. We all feel that. We all believe that. It's never real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like everybody struggles with stuff. Like it's okay to, to get to ask questions, but it's good. Like you said, it, it is helpful to try to dig in. So I always feel like everybody's got to figure out their own ratio of like 
how much did I spend digging in versus how much did I ask? Because it just, it's different for each person. Mm-hmm. Asking respectfully with detail is helpful to you, right? Of like, detail, I need to know yeah. this specific thing, please help me. And, you know, not being it with urgency, like trying to give somebody an opportunity to help you. Yeah, I do yeah. like people coming to me with some amount of homework, right? Yeah, like, like hey, I looked at yeah. these, poked yeah. these, here's my debug. Yeah, you know, here's, Even have here's theories. Yeah. Theories, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's good. Yeah, and it just kind of shows someone, like, they spent the time. Maybe I should, you know, share that time with them, too. Exactly. And, yeah, like, I think one of the strengths that designers have to build eventually over time, like, I think, is learning tools, right? Like, mm. <laughs> like I tell that to, like, college kids I talk to and stuff now is, like, you know, spend time jumping around all the different tool sets, even if it's not the one you're going to use, because learning mm. how to jump into a new tool set and understand the relationships, understand patterns and stuff, that's hard as fuck, and it never gets easier. Yeah. So you, you're not really taught that. Uh, that you, that's yeah. something you have to go put the time in yourself individually. And and there's so many out there now, which is yeah, and they're all crazy. I, I would have yeah. loved to have had that problem when I was yeah. coming up for sure. Yeah, I remember looking for it. Like I even used like Little Big Planet, and I used like the Dragon Age mod tool and stuff like that. I was oh, just God. trying different stuff because I wanted to think about choose the problems um, that were a little different between you know games and stuff, um, yeah. which is cool because that's what. That's what I'm saying. It's like every game is going to be different. Every tool set is going to be made for that game. So you can't really master any given tool necessarily, especially if you're not, you know, like in it at one company or something. You're jumping around. You're trying to find your way in. Learning a bunch mm-hmm. of different tools is actually a really good skill. Um, so, yeah, like yeah. I said, so I spent my time early on trying to dig into those tools, understand how they, you know, how they were able to make stuff with such expression, how they're able, like what they valued, right? Like, you know, some tool sets are meant for like, data table sort of queries or some tools that's just set up for like, mm-hmm. like, you know, really specific frame data for like fighting games or whatever. Right. Um, everything's different. And so like, you know, some people yep. put all that data on like animation. Some people do it all in like a spreadsheet. Some people like, it just kind of shows you what the values of the company are. So spending that time is helpful in that regard to you. Um, mm-hmm. and it helps you ask more questions. So more yeah. questions. So that Ooh. was one big area I kind of spent time on. And then the other one, just to kind of get more out of it, was like play tests and feedback was such a huge learning vector. More than At I ever Bungie expected. Specifically? Yeah. More than I mm. ever expected it to be. Like because prior, like I hadn't worked on a multiplayer game that you could play test every day and get like a holistic view of what the thing was. Um mm-hmm. And so, so that wasn't like a culture I was used to. And at Bungie and at Firewalk, we have daily play tests where Everybody's playing, everybody's got their hands in the controller, everybody's talking about stuff on a mic or in the same room. Um, and so you get to this place where you're playing so much that the nuance becomes the conversation. Whereas Ooh. like if you're playing the first time, it's big feedback like, Man, I wish there was more abilities. Man, I wish there's more guns. Man, I wish there's more yeah, enemies, right? The typical stuff. Yeah, which is helpful actually, right? Because you want that it first is. fresh eyes perspective. But when you're playing a hundred times then you're talking about like, <laughs> man, like the like rhythm of these attacks if i go like boom 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 the last one feels really rewarding whereas in this other combo it feels a little off like rhythm wise or like i wish it yeah. matched this other rhythm better or you're talking about these little like tiny things about like weapon recoil and the way you manage that or like sight lines on a map or something right like mm-hmm. and how they come across at different angles or like when you're in a certain fight or something like you start to pick up on that and then what i think is amazing is that if everyone's doing that at the same time Everyone's picking up on different nuances because they're all different yeah. people with different eyes and you're all talking out loud. You get to learn from one another too, right? And so like, you're maybe like, you know, I remember I never worked on a multiplayer shooter before and so I never thought about level design to the degree I heard people talk, think, like, talk about it, right? And so I'm like yeah. in the room 
I'm giving notes on stuff I know, and people are talking about all the stuff around the way they make decisions around maps or the way things imply there's a room in a certain space when you walk into like lighting wise, right? Or like yeah. um, how many factors you have to consider when you walk into a room that, that are dangerous to call them threat factors or whatever. I'm hearing that for the first time. I can ask questions like, oh, can you expand on that feedback? Word. So maybe someone has an argument with them, whatever, right? And then you can hear two <laughs> sides of it. And so the whole group gets more reps in thinking about the game from different perspectives too. Uh, so that was an incredible learning experience. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I think the first time I got into that, that type of culture was, I had to get to like Montreal, right? Like mm-hmm. you got to, to see that culture. And that's, you know, Ubisoft uh, roots and things like that. One thing I had to learn was how to be vocal, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I usually kind of, I live in my head a lot, right? Yeah. And so I'm <laughs> playing the game and I'm just doing things just and doing I let other thing, people yeah. talk, yeah. you know, and I'll bring up things here or there. Or I'll just kind of yeah. keep mashing into a wall to be like, hey, look at this. Yeah. But the more you do it and the better you get, it, it, the, the most valuable skill is, I guess, speaking your thoughts, right? Being yeah, super yeah. verbal about every little detail. Agreed. And there's one more skill before that, which is like, the skill of being sure of yourself to some degree. <laughs> like it's oh, like, okay. yeah, dismissing Word. your own imposter syndrome. Cause I think a lot of times, so say like you're in a flight test, you have these thoughts, you're like, yeah, you're doing your own thing. You're like thinking about something you're playing and someone else says that note. You're like, ah, oh, man, I guess I wasn't crazy. Right. Like that moment where like you could have said it too. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of, there's like these moments are validate that like these thoughts in your head aren't, you're not alone. And it's always worth saying them basically because there's likely someone else who feels that way. So we always said like for any given feedback note, even if it's the one person in the room, they're probably Mm -hmm. representing, especially at the scale of destiny and stuff, like they're probably representing 30, 40,000 people. So never feel like, oh, this was just some weird thing I did. (laughs) So we always say that. I definitely want to circle back to the point Mm -hmm. you made about the value of creating a culture where people are not intimidated to speak up or or are comfortable, right? That it becomes second nature, becomes as natural as being like, yo, I need some water or or making a joke or laughing at something, right? Yeah, because that's what lets that nuance come through is if you don't have Mm -hmm. to feel like you have to go through a little mental gate, right? And so some of what contributes to that in that feedback culture specifically is, this is my thing, I say it to myself at least, is like feedback is one directional. It's like someone says how they feel and that's it. You don't argue with that feedback. There's no challenging Word. it. You can ask questions to understand more of what they're describing, but like it's not a back and forth. And, and similarly, if you give feedback, you should not expect it to be a change that you're demanding, right? Or whatever, like it's not like, oh, I gave this yeah. note that when I play it, it can actually be different. It's, you give feedback, Trust the team, understand, and make the best decisions. Hell yeah, dude. It sounds like something a therapist might have told me, man. It's like, <laughs> manage your expectations, and you can't argue with someone's feelings. You can't yeah. try to validate them or say they're right or wrong, right? It, you got to just hold it. Like, it's listen. It's funny you say it that it. way, too, because that's, I don't have any time these days, but if I ever have time to do another game, game devs a color talk or GDC talk or whatever, It'd be that, like the things that I learned to be a better designer from therapy. And some of that is is kind of the way I process feedback, the way I even think about my own reactions to things I'm playing and how do I express that in a way that, you know, isn't combative. It's just like the way I I feel about something. Yeah. And so like a good example of that is like, there's this framework for nonviolent communication called Mm. OFNER, which is uh, acronyms, observation, feeling, need, request. And off basic, Okay. Yeah. So basically it's like a little flow, right? You go through what you're trying to express in that manner of like, what am I observing? How does it make me feel? What does that make me feel like I need? And then formulate all that into a request singular. 
So like singular observation singular leads into a singular request. And that's really important because it's easy to be like, this game sucks. It needs to be better. Make it better. Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to do with that? Or Thanks. like this big ass, yeah, enemies suck. There's not enough enemies or whatever. Like if you're really specific. It's too hard. Yeah. yeah uh, it helps. And that sort of like disarms anyone from feeling like you're attacking their person or their ego. It's mm-hmm. just kind of describing, here's what I saw. And here's how we feel, right? And so, yeah, that I think that feedback kind of back and forth gets better when you don't have to be perfect about that format or any given format. Sure. I think it just works better when it's about the game and it's emotional feedback is valuable. Like if you're angry, like fuck, this game sucks. Like <laughs> I got, I got this enemy is like really frustrating or whatever. Like that's valuable. But yes. if you can also follow that through with like, okay, let me calm down for a second. <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working with the people making this. This isn't just the game I'm playing. We talk through how I got here, right? It's still cool that we get to be that way, right? Like, there's value to that, to being a, mm-hmm. a normal gamer, as opposed to what I always remind designers or aspiring designers to be like, hey, man, you got to develop your critical eye. You got to keep mm-hmm. that notebook right next to you to write down mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that you're feeling, you're running into, and be able to kind of critically dissect it and break mm-hmm. it apart. Like, why did it feel bad? How would you improve it? And value what you're writing down, right? Like, mm. it's really easy to be like, ah, oh, this is this is obvious, uh, but like, it may not be. And even if it, it is, work. like, it just means you're cluing into something real, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Don't uh, undervalue something because you mm-hmm. perceive it as, as obvious. Or yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. And again, like, everybody represents somebody, and so it's important to just get that out. Uh, and then it's equally important to create an environment where it's it feels like okay to say something, right? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What is one thing you miss about working at Bungie? There's just a lot of people I really appreciate working with, actually. I mean, that's pretty much it. The people. I think that's everywhere, right? Like, I think about <laughs> First Playable, I think about Project Spark, I think about I worked on Skylanders for a bit. It always comes down to people. Like, I even tell myself, like, I've worked on games now that have touched, like, millions of lives and, like, yeah. big budget, all this kind of crazy stuff. But the thing I, when I think back to my favorite moments, it's always around in the pit with somebody working on something or like something mm-hmm. coming together that we all saw. So I think that's always what comes to like, even just as you said that, I was thinking through like my time there and it's just faces. It's like, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> so it's just that face, someone's laugh, someone's like, you know, attitude when they brought something to the table or something I learned from someone else. It's always yeah. just people, man. So What's something you shipped, something that shipped that you had a hand in that you were like super proud of or just went through hell mm-hmm. to get it out there. Top of mind. I mean, I'll, I've talked a lot about Destiny, so I'll say something about Spark real quick. I'm happy to move over to Spark, actually, yeah, because yeah. in this day and age of user-generated content being all the rave, and I thought about this when I was coming into this, Claude, is mm-hmm. how Microsoft tends to either be, like, super ahead of its time <laughs> or super in the back catching up at the horrible time yeah, right? yeah, yeah. when i look at project spark man i think they were super ahead of the curve there mm-hmm. and they didn't I, I don't know i guess they bought minecraft and they're like all right we just need minecraft but i like spark man i'll never know the full business insight story of it and yeah like maybe it was too late maybe it's too early who knows like i think for me it was probably the game that was like so closest to my heart guys and for anyone uh, who doesn't totally know the whole picture it's like yeah, yeah. what is project spark game made the making a game no longer available thing unfortunately um it is a game about making games so it was built off of the base of Kodu, which was microsoft's first one of their first like make coding accessible by making like a really simple game really possible to script with like you know this the structure of it was like you'd go into any object and you can give it instructions of when something happens do something and that was the basic scripting language even but it was all represented with like big chunky friendly icons that looked like jump or punch or walk or whatever right 
Project Spark was expanding on that to make like even more games, even more expressive and all that kind of stuff. And the reason it was so close to my heart is because like by the time we started interacting with the community, by the time it was big enough and worked well enough that we could give it to people in like a beta form or whatever, like it changed people. It was so cool to be a part of it. Like you could see, like there were really? people who really became game developers because of it. <laughs> wow. They had relationships. People who got married, people who like became like best what? friends. It was insane. It was so cool to be like that close and have that much of an impact from the work that you do on people's lives. And then, you know, like I love making games because I love making things come alive and I love making things that a group of people can see together and become real together. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you have vision and you spend like, you know, months or years or whatever, putting it together to get there that moment and seeing people in our community do that. Right. Of like, you know, <sighs> discussing ideas, sharing code, sharing art together and just like figure out how to get it together. Amazing experience. So the reason I'm too proud of this because like, yeah, like a couple things. Like I was on the brain team, which was the team like building all the stuff that you could use to build games, right? So I was thinking mm-hmm. a lot about all games. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about like, what do you need in any game? What tools do you need? Like, how do we make that simpler for someone to understand? Like, what is the essence of a recast? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, how do you put that in like a simpler form? So is that is that an example of a brain? Like, it's like Raycast. Like, let me know what you collide with and when you collide with the thing. A brain could be anything. Yeah, like okay. a brain could be like a rock that says when the player touches it, explode. Something like okay. that. And so there's simple tiles like explode. Tiles were like the name of like each piece. And so there's simple tiles that could say like when touch or when explode, do explode or something. But yeah. they could break it down to say like when C... And that would do some similar kind of raycast stuff that you could go into that and get some options and stuff and see when see the player with a sword attack or something, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> so now you can like mm-hmm. keep expanding it. If so someone AI would it, like operated the same way. Anything could be AI. Also, anything in it, right? You could put a brain yeah. on anything. And so it could be as simple as, yeah, when A do jump, uh, or it could be as complicated as like when A figure out the distance between. <laughs> this and that and apply a force and do that like you could get pretty into it if you wanted to right? okay you yeah, like full access to all conditional yeah like we, we let you we let you basically expand anything to get into like this place where you're almost writing just like regular code wow you can just crazy stuff so like yeah for example like our e3 demo um my buddy which year man 2013 2013 e3 spark 2013 in that demo, my buddy, like, so we built, like, this whole sequence of events, like, a giant cutscene, and a bunch of cool player abilities and stuff. But, like, the shining star of that thing was this mech that my buddy built. He's an engineer on the project. And it was a mech that was, like, he wrote, like, IK into the way that the movement of the arms and legs actually performed when you moved around so you could animate it and stuff. Like, and that was all mm. with the actual tiles of the game. Like, everything in that demo we built with the actual stuff in the game. IK, you could rigged together with he, but he like wrote the logic for that game. it wasn't like there was like a tile for like IK. he just did all the stuff <laughs> it's like, okay yeah. like a like a, a typical user couldn't do that uh, i mean technically of... you could right and so that was the thing oh. that was amazing was like you could if you saw a project like because we could share them up to the cloud and stuff you could look at them play them if you played something and you're like man that's a really cool Star Fox clone right like i really love Star Fox. Mm-hmm. how do i make Star Fox? You could download it, open it up, and then mess with anything inside of it. And so you could look at how they built the plane or how they built the pickups or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, And so, again, it was a super cool community because everybody could share their logic. And it was something that even the games industry doesn't have, right? Of like, I made a thing that's really cool. Here is how it works. Learn from that. You don't have to copy it. You could start from that and change the thing, and then everybody got better. So, again, just seeing that momentum, it was really incredible. And I I was literally part of that, right? I was, like, helping make all those pieces 
looking at people amazed, seeing what they needed. Yeah. Pretty amazing project to be on. <laughs> it resonates deeply with me is that building block, right? Being the designer mm -hmm. on the kind of the building blocks of the brains, like how do you bring fire from the mountains to these creators, <laughs> right? Yeah. To go crazy with. And you told me that they would go crazy with like nesting things mm -hmm. so many different layers deep and producing some crazy, insane logic. Yeah. And like it started simple, right? Like someone would say like, I want to make Zelda. And so they made, you know, a top down camera with like rooms. And so when you went into a room, the camera changes to another camera and there's like, and it was like crates and stuff that you could break and then swan like stuff, and inventory tools and stuff. It was like pretty simple. And someone would take mm -hmm. that, copy it, start to change it make another game that was a little more expressive and that kept happening back and forth like with oh. you know tons of people like thousands of people at once and so you just keep seeing the like community evolve and then they yeah. had a website they start sharing libraries right like it was nuts <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, i man. think that's that's where some of these other things like roblox or even what we were doing at fortnite falls a little short it's like there's a big part of letting people grab and open up and dissect projects right and like yeah build off of them and the game industry doesn't have that. Like, we don't get to share our final products and how that worked, right? Like, we get GC yeah, and stuff like that to kind of talk it through. But then, mm -hmm. you know, not every talk gets in the detail. And so it may be not what you're interested in. When that Matrix demo came out, right, showing off mm -hmm. UE5, it mm -hmm. was like, oh, shit, cool, I can play it. But, like, I want to open it up. And then it took, mm -hmm. I don't know, how it took, like, twice the same amount of time just to clean it up and make it, like, yeah. <laughs> parsable and, and readable yeah, by yeah. an outside world. But, yeah. but it's out there now, so yep. there's value in that. But, yeah, I can see the difference of, like, building something just to make it work and then building something so that it's grokkable and, yeah. and digestible and people could learn from it. Cool. I was like, they didn't have that limitation. They didn't care if it wasn't clean. <laughs> they just shared their stuff. And then, like, internally, which is something I've never gotten to do again, this is something that we did as a studio, just, like, Every milestone, we'd basically have a game jam day where we'd use those, the tools we've made to make games oh. all day. Like everybody offline from what you're Damn. doing and just make stuff. And that was really cool to see, like, you know, just what we can make as devs using dev tools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that we would share some of that stuff with the community. Especially from with your stuff, right? Like, mm -hmm. hey, I built this thing. This, this is in the build now. And then seeing yep. the craziness people could do with it. And it gave disciplines an opportunity to play with other disciplines you know of like an yeah. artist wanted a program a program wanted to do some art and then as a designer like that wasn't our only day to make games like we had often make games just to expand our tools and understand where bugs are even that was like you know junior to mid-level at the time and so i was able to make games of all kinds of genres like just trying stuff just to test things out but then i was not just testing i was thinking about like okay like what does make a good platformer what does make a good brawler hey. what does make a good bullet hell what does make a good adventure game like i was just trying all this different stuff and i got to learn so much in such a short period of time that i didn't even think about it at the time like i, I think back now i like grew a lot there too because mm -hmm. of that like, i guess just you know so when i tell people who are trying to get in like to go make a game it doesn't have to yeah. be an unreal like, it doesn't have to be in you Word. know you can, you can find learn a ton no matter where you're you gonna go. learn just try stuff mm -hmm. and, it, and it helps you think about what other people are thinking about um helps you think about things that like you wouldn't think you have to think about you just got to make stuff yeah <laughs> just make stuff yeah totally because there's yeah. so much value in in all the things we take for granted right like mm -hmm. oh the timing at the rate of which this moves so that it lines up when the player's here or how do i detect that they collided or took yeah. damage or hit this trigger right like that yep. shit is universal yep. figure out how it happens in one place and then you can kind of go from there mm -hmm. often i have felt in a way that I wish the place I'm working at allowed for more game jams, right? Mm -hmm. I wish we had the culture that we can do a monthly thing or a weekly mm -hmm. thing. 
And it's also when you're working in a game that is essentially an editor. Yeah. That that's part of the job, right? It's like, yeah. oh, you got to use your tools. That's and part of the job. Do yeah. things every yeah. week or every month that forces this. I bring it up as something that I, I wish we had more of in the industry because even before Spark, uh, at first playable, we also had game jams pretty regularly. It wasn't, mm. we didn't make game development. They didn't make like tools, you know, for making games. We just were developers and every so often we'd have a morale event where we basically all game jammed. And so it was usually a day, sometimes a little bit longer or whatever, but it was like self-made teams, people just trying stuff in Game Maker or whatever at the time. And like, mm. and it was also it was great for the same reasons. Like you get to try new stuff they ever tried before. Uh, you get to bond with people and it was such yeah. a good just team builder. Um, and sometimes those games even turn to things that we were interested in for like long-term projects. Mm-hmm. That was never the goal, right? It was just like, just try stuff. Sure. It's fine. You know, just have fun. Yeah. So before you migrated to the West Coast, mm-hmm. you did your damnedest to check out all the places that existed yeah. in your home <laughs> on the East Coast. That's right. And you actually got in on this bubble that was what, like toys to life kind of thing. And mm. I thought that was a huge genre, man, that had like all the promise in the world at the time. Yeah, you were on, yeah. yeah, dude. Because yeah. like, <laughs> Disney, you know, once once Disney tried to jump in, I was like, oh, yeah, there's, there's going to be it. more here. Yeah. Like, this is it, you know? <laughs> And Skylanders was gigantic, bro. That yeah. was making so much money for Activision. Yeah, I was that was so thrilled to be on that game. That game was the game that made me know I wanted to make combat and abilities forever. Yeah. You know, I grew up watching dumbass cartoons way too long. Like what? Like what? <laughs> was like, like, you know, 90s was all about, like, animals and attitude. So, like, you know, there's turtles, <laughs> obviously, gargoyles, yeah. fucking uh, gargoyles. street sharks, like, all this stuff, man. Like, I love Yo. <laughs> street sharks. There's the one with these, like, squirrel chipmunk bear ones, yeah. too, man. They were, like, half cyborg. Oh, man. my God, yes. I'm blinking on the name. But then, yeah, it's also uh, Dino Riders. It's like all this dumbass shit. Like, people just <laughs> like. Animals t- were added to. <laughs> yeah, people just like jammed ideas together. And it was like, it was just the best. And so on mm. Skylanders, like, I remember before they had names, like, before the characters had names, like, we just had the code names of what their fantasy were. So, like, you had like Rock Dragon or like Cyber Dragon or whatever, or like Ninja Lobster or some shit. <laughs> and it was literally just like ridiculous fantasy kind of ideas just jammed together. And it was like, we just kind of talked about what they, what they did and just put that together. And it was fucking, it was amazing. It was just like super dope to just have a team kind of become children a little bit, pick ideas mm-hmm. and kind of put them together. And it was also lucky. It was like, you know, so Toys for Bob was working on the primary Skylanders SKU, where Vicarious Visions, where I got to work, was working on the 3DS version. And so that mm. was like releasing at the same time. But what we found was like, they were making more of a top-down kind of Diablo-style game. Like no jumping, you know, just kind of like a lot of the abilities and timing and, and multiplayer and stuff. And ours was more refined to like action and platforming. So, and it was mm-hmm. 3DS, so we didn't do everything they were doing anyway. And so we kind of figured out what our strengths are going to be. And so it's like, we did have jumping. We had double jumping. We had all these air attacks. We had like, our combat was just different. I felt like it was a little bit more expressive even, just having that extra vector. And so like, basically I was on the on the team that was able to like, look at those high level fantasies of like stealth elf or whatever. And instead of just building the same exact thing they did on the console version, we got to figure out like, how do we translate the like fantasy, the core verbs of that character into something that makes sense for a platformer with this kind of different combat model. And so we did get to think at that ground level still of like, how do we bring this fantasy to life? I got super lucky because like, I had no idea what they were working on. It just was like an intern and <laughs> I got to jump on it, <laughs> uh, which is great. And, you know, I got to work on the core parts of the character. So I 
I feel like I helped out with everything. You know, I was re-scripting stuff. I was putting together systems. And then the lead of characters, he gave me the opportunity to work on a couple, which is my own. And, mm -hmm. you know, I see that as like this big lift moment, confidence-wise, of like someone trusting me with this thing. And Word, I just felt like, as an intern. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I earned that, you know, and like got to learn trying it. And I, st I still feel like that was like the nudge to like, hey, man, this is your thing. <laughs> you can do Own this. Own it, yeah. You know, go crazy with it. Yeah, and it just gave me the nudge towards like believing in myself that I could build stuff like that that I loved already helping with, right? Mm -hmm. So that game was amazing. And then like I remember it was early enough that like we didn't have, you know, all the final models on the toys, the physical toys. They're gray and they Yeah, how was that? They give you kind of like paper designs or mock-ups. It's like, hey, it's gonna be this type of animal. Yeah, it depends on like each character's like production time, right? And like so sometimes we'd get stuff that was more done. Sometimes we'd get stuff that was literally like a clay kind of thing and not done yet. But like the concept was there and they were doing focus testing with kids. And so I remember like this like uncolored thing that looked like a dragon put in front of a kid and with a game that says you can play that dragon. And they were losing their shit with the toy before they even played. <laughs> I was like, this game is a big ton of money. This is insane. <laughs> uh, and then you get to put the yeah. this fucking game and play it. Like, oh, it's still blows my mind that that was a thing. And I got to work on that. It just screams printing money for sure. Yeah. I guess I guess iPad wasn't out. And now that's kind of yeah. killed everything, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah, dude, even Lego got in on it, right? And, yep, and yep, that, yep. that's another one that just makes so much sense, right? Like, yeah, build the thing, spend the time to build the thing, and then put it in the game right yeah, and like yeah. transform it right to, People do some love to create thing. man like uh, yeah, yeah so there's one more part of it that i learned a lesson that stuck with me too for my whole design career which is like sometimes things feel really dire when you're making a game especially <laughs> then don't end in sight <laughs> yeah but it's like you know some you discover some problem that is just like the you feel the eclipse show up and everybody's like oh shit what are we gonna fucking do? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. it. And I remember Especially for, on DS, man. Yep. I was gonna say, it was a hardware thing. Like, we, you know, because the promise of Skylanders is like, you take any of your toys, put them on the pad, you play them, right? And DS did not have that kind of memory. And so it was like, <laughs> what are we gonna do? We can't let you swap anybody in at any time. Oh. And I don't actually remember exactly how we got here, but I do remember that we discovered this other vector, this other way of playing it, which was super interesting in a different way, which is basically like, what if you can't load anybody anytime? But what if you, when you start a level, you pick two? You have a squad, more or less. Right? Yeah. You say, these are my yeah. dudes. And then you load them up and you see them together and they're like little tag team buddies, basically. And so you jump into the level and at any time at all, like mid combo, you can press a button, swap. And so you swap heroes. You just boom, 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 boom. And so you can do that whenever you want. And you could, it was an interesting way of adding depth to all the kits and all the stuff you could do. Um, and it didn't feel like a limitation all of a sudden. It felt like this was like part of the identity of the game. And um, I remember our game director at the time always talked about like, okay, if we do that, then we get more of that magic moment in the beginning where you pick your characters. So we mm -hmm. make that this like this, this really memorable magic moment. And that became like a mantra we kept saying ourselves, right? Figured out how to make that like this really interesting experience. 3DS had that like early AR kind of experience too. Yeah. With camera. And so you'd put the character on the toy and you see it on the, on the platform rather. And you'd see it on your camera on the D3DS, and then they jump mm -hmm. into the game. Oh, <laughs> it was it was fucking dope. It was way out of his time too. Yeah, that's so cool. Just, man. That was the game. Yeah, and so the lesson, like I said, is like sometimes these dire moments that feel like you're absolutely like just like drowning and in fear and doubt and despair, and it feels like, well, I guess this is it. Like sometimes there's like a nugget of like twisting constraints or thinking a little bit more carefully after just living in that dread for a little bit that mm -hmm. lets you float, float back up you're always going to float back up 
Always going to flip back up. I like that. Bungie had a value they called buoyancy, which was the same concept, right? It was like, you got to build that force in yourself of like, even when time's darkest, you're going to flip back up. It's going to be okay. Like, just keep thinking hard. Figure You're going to figure this out and you're going to flip back up to the surface. So that stuck with me. I love that. That experience shining through, right? Is mm-hmm. you've been in the trenches and the darkness long yeah, enough. It's going to be all right. Flow. <laughs> it's going to be all right. And in fact, recognize it, right? They were like, oh shit, yeah. we're in that moment. And we don't know how long it's going to take us to get yeah. out of it. But and it's okay to be in that fear for a minute. It's, it's okay. okay. It's like real. They just got to breathe. Trust each other. Going <laughs> <laughs> to get through it. Breathe. Yeah. You know you're going to come out with something yeah. awesome on the Trust other yourself. end. Yeah. Trust yourself. Hell yeah. We're almost at the kind of the origin, right? Mm-hmm. We're going backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The place that you first got your break was first playable. Mm-hmm. And feel free to talk about whatever. But I thought what was cool is the fact that you got to hone in on something that us as designers don't probably use as much as we should from our mm-hmm. tool bag, right? And it's like the power of like paper designing. You know, we mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. are beheld to these wonderful 3D tools that we yeah. have and how <laughs> fast it is to yeah. prototype something yeah. that we forget this other super useful medium That's that we deep. have. In college, I had a few classes where we got, and I was in the game development program. I was at Rochester Institute of Technology, pretty depth. Upstate. Yeah, upstate New York is the early program. And we got a couple of reps that like doing paper prototypes for board games. And so I had some familiarity. And then in my first gig, like I said, that first playable, we were working on kids games. And one of our projects working with Disney is for Club Penguin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got that to work was that huge, game. man. It was huge. Club yeah. Penguin was huge. And that game is all about mini games. It's a weird concept still to me. It's like it's Roblox like, before Roblox kind of A little thing, bit, right? but it's, it's like, there's this weird thing I'll still never grok, which is like, it's an island full of penguins. They just party all day. Like, I don't know where that came from, but it's stuck with people. <laughs> so I don't, I'll never get it, but it was pretty, yeah. it was huge. So, and the game is all about like, like I said, they party all day. So you walk around the island, you go to a different place, you play a thing with people. It's a mini game usually. And that's it. And so like when we were making our game, we were always pitching new mini games. So the cheap way of doing that was prototyping either through Game Maker. So we literally used Game Maker to make a bunch of really fast rapid prototypes and send that out. I thought it was Flash. That's interesting. Yeah, I think at the time it was kind of back and forth between the two. And then we also did paper prototypes, depending on the complexity of the game, right? And so like I remember one project I was on, Disney wanted to see it as a paper prototype. And so what we did was we got like a kid to come in to play it. And so I was setting up the paper prototype with the other designer. We spent like forever, like we made cards out of little pieces of paper. We like made rules. We had all this stuff. We had Legos representing the different pieces, and they were going to be all things that we could plan to put into 3D in the game, right? They made all the sets. We were like, this game was pretty fun. It's simple. <laughs> we brought this kid in. I think he was like five or yeah, six. What's, what's your yeah. audience? Okay, five or six. Gotcha. Um, it was real, like, I was not used to working with that audience yet. So in my head, I was like, this is dope. This is going to be a sweet game. This kid's going to love it. It makes all the sense in the world. Came in, and immediately he was bored. Immediately. <laughs> Didn't even hear what I had to say. I was playing with the for Legos, jumping around, doing stuff. And it was such a valuable, humbling moment of like, you have to think like your players. You're not mm. making this for yourself. It's a lot of the stuff I learned from games like that. And I think this still translates to adults. It's like, of course, feedback, like not just feedback. Like, you know, I pressed the button and it told me what I did. It's like feedback as much as possible. Like if I do something, show that it has an impact. If I like move my hand or move my cursor on the ds like something is always reacting something is always teaching you something constantly mm. and it just helps any level of brain development engage right because you're like Hell you know, yeah. that's how humans work it's like you touch a rock 
you feel its texture, it, it teaches you something, right? And so you're making decisions about that all of a sudden. And so like, if you have to set up all these rules first that are like abstract and there's not like a metaphor that someone's connecting to and like, there's not like a constant source of feedback teaching them, it's going to be harder for them to engage and participate, right? Mm. And so that kid was like, I don't understand what you want me to participate with, but I see this toy and if I move it in my head, there's a vision of what's happening. And so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. As a first, okay. like, you didn't set up like, move this toy anywhere you want and then the board will react to you right like something like that mm. so i learned a whole bunch on those kind of games super humbling to work with little kids who do <laughs> not hold back old. they'll tell you it's garbage if it's garbage they'll, t- they'll tell you they don't like it they're bored they do not hold back <laughs> talk about valuable timing to learn that right to for that to be the first place that yeah, early in yeah. your career to learn that that's super vital Super a lot of us don't get there yeah a lot of us yeah. don't get there till much later so yeah and I, and, and like yeah working with your tester, your feedback group in person with high reps, rare, super rare. I didn't realize it was rare at the time. I value that place so much. <laughs> I learned a lot. Great people. One of the most first studios I've ever been at, too. It's just great. On top of that, huh? Yep. It's funny how, you know, some places that you start out at, you kind of see things, you take it for granted that, oh, yeah, every place I work at yeah. is going to be the same way. It's like, nah, man. Yep. I just didn't want to stay in upstate New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you missed that snow, huh? I did not miss <laughs> that snow. <laughs> A lot of struggles man. out there. <laughs> man, yeah, I could imagine, you know, having yeah. like ha- plan ahead for your meals and, oh, and all that on the weekends. Good times. Good times. Mm-hmm. Dude, people there, I, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, RIT. That that is a as a one of those one of those one of those tech schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I feel like not that many were doing game dev at that time. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, what makes it more special in, yeah. in that area. And yeah, what, what any memories you have going to school, yeah. going to the program? Like, did you know you were gonna go straight into games? Yeah, out of high school. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, the short story is I was a terrible high school student. I was, <laughs> I was one of those kids that was smart, but like didn't really engage. And so I didn't really easy. like, yeah, yeah, I just, I didn't plan very well. So I only applied to one place because the only place that they wanted to go it was like, oh, shit. yeah, because I went to visit IRT and I saw their games lab. And it was like this early thing. And I, I had done some programming classes in high school that I did real well at. And I really enjoyed it. And I was like, if people program things. Someone probably programs video games. And then I saw this program that did that. <laughs> and uh, so I got to visit it. And I was like, you know what? This is where I want to go. And thankfully I got in. <laughs> <laughs> so I went there. And then, yeah, like it's it was early programs. So like, I think they're still, they're still learning a lot. And the, the teachers knew that. And it was good. It felt like, you know, shared kind of experience. It was frustrating a lot of times too, obviously, because it's new. And it was hard. Like a lot of people dropped out and stuff. But what I really valued about it was, yeah, like that sort of humility from not having this be like a formal, everything is done program. It's like, they're kind of adapting as they go. Mm-hmm. And that's how games works, right? Like nobody's coming experience. And the other part of it was the T-shaped aspect of teaching. So like T-shaped meaning like, you know, you, you touch all the different things, right? Like instead of just being one, like they were definitely more heavy on programming because it was a CS, like computer science kind of built, you know, college. But when they started doing games, they taught everybody 2D animation, 3D animation, how models and rigs work, talked about the sort of programming side for sure. A little bit on design side, like I said, we did like paper prototypes or stuff. We talked about production. We talked about the different philosophies, stuff like it was just enough to kind of be aware. And at the time mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't master any of that stuff. I didn't even know I, I knew any of it until I was in my internships. People were talking about stuff and I was like, oh, I know that word. I know yeah. how that works. I can appreciate what you're doing. 
a little bit more than I would if I had no idea how rigging works, right? So that was really valuable. I tell people if they got an opportunity to touch every tool, just do it. It's a great point. You know, no matter how you feel coming out of school, whatever type of student you are, mm -hmm. eventually you find the thing that really clicks with you mm -hmm. and then yep. comes at you fast. Yeah. Because we had that, right? We had like, you know, a lot of people came through it and they were programmers. That's like I said, that's like the foundation of that college. But mm -hmm. people came out material artists or, you know, 3D artists or writers, you know, whatever, like just people found their, their thing that they like. Um, mm -hmm. And then what I, the last thing I really appreciated is like to, to graduate, you needed to have some amount of time doing co-ops, which are basically internships. Yep. So you'd have to find an internship. You'd have to find a gig in the game industry. And that was where you come back. Like people who came back the summer after whatever, they're like, gods, they're like, I learned all the stuff, man. I like, I know how everything works. And they're no, we're really gods. They're juniors. Right. But they felt like, yeah. it. like I just, all of a sudden, like learning made sense. They were more motivated to come back and try mm. something. Like I came back from mine feeling like I want to make something. I made it. I worked with some friends. We just made something. Like, yeah. We just felt like more confident all of a sudden, you know? Dude, yeah. So, so that, was, that was a huge piece. It's hard to tell to get those internships. It's a rare thing in our industry. I think it's going, it's growing more, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. These days. Yeah. But even if you can't just make something. <laughs> there's no excuse yeah. man make something share it online jump in a community yep. in a discord yep. on YouTube. Now. Yeah. man the other yes just yesterday this thing came across my lap where it was like some person brought in the simpsons hit and run world mm -hmm. into ue5 or whatever i was like oh shit yeah and then when you're applying somewhere right like whenever i get like a resume for a gameplay designer and like i'm looking at the stuff like i'm trying to judge especially kind of from the experience but as soon as mm -hmm. i see a link I click that shit right away. And if I see Lovely. anything I can play, it's immediately seared into my brain. And if I can play it and it makes some sense, that's already major points. If it's fucking yep. cool, even more, obviously. But like, even if they're just trying to do stuff, it shows that drive and it shows that they're trying to learn. I'll just say this is a tip. Sometimes when people will share, I did this too, like, here's my project and not just a project, but here's the learning I had alongside of it. This is what I was trying to do. This is what I found. Heard. That stuff is amazing. It gives you insight into how they think. Which is all we yeah. need. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That saves a bunch of time on mm -hmm. the interview, right? Because that's the, a lot of those questions are the type of questions you would try to bring out in them. So exactly, yeah. going back to the keeping that notebook, not only for when you're playing something, but when you're developing something. You're right, and, yeah. And even yeah. like a little blog, right? Like a little journal diary that yeah. maybe you won't share, but maybe yeah. you will. That's the type of shit we like to read. For sure. Like, yeah, I had one that was like my buddy and I would take games we were playing and just write specs for features they had that was one thing we shared um we we're both like trying to come up specs yeah and then one i've seen recently that really blew my mind and some of the other guys i work with like there's someone who applied and she had plays a ton of overwatch she loves it and like had all this like analysis on her blog basically and oh. so like we were watching her we reading that and we're like it's super interesting like super smart about the stuff and then she built like this tool that basically you could build weapons inside of it and so it was like tunables for oh. any weapon to have and so it was like her kind of like breaking down Overwatch and kind of thinking about like, how would I make a weapon in this kind of game? Yeah. And it's just an experiment. <laughs> it was, it was fucking dope. Like super huge boon to like being interested in the hire. So, Yo, my friend, we're coming up on that time. And from one fighting game fan to another, I got to <laughs> invite you to the final round. Are you ready? All right. Bring it on. All I got right, my sleeper saved up. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, I'm oh, ready. shit. Pick <laughs> up DP. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. What's the last game that you finished, saw the credits roll? It was probably an RPG. Oh, Cyberpunk, I guess. Is it really that oh, far? 
You finished yeah. Cyberpunk. Damn, that's I finished really like. it like twice. So I guess that's why. Okay. I that. <laughs> you like that theme? You like that world? Or you just like CD Projekt Red stuff? No, I, I love Cyberpunk. Yeah, the world. Like, I, I played tabletop RPGs as well with some buddies, and we did a Cyberpunk campaign, and it was awesome. Oh. Or Shadowrun campaign, rather. That was awesome. So I'm always interested in that stuff. I can't believe that's the last one in my head. I'm playing through uh, a couple of different things now that I think I'll finish. So, <laughs> what are you playing through? What's the last thing you touched? I'm playing uh, a Plague's Tale, which is okay. Yeah, I, I don't usually like the slower paced kind of stealth games, but this is a really good job of sort of keeping the an element of it is different each encounter, and so I'm always okay. engaged a little bit differently. So their pacing is really good, and they they have the best rat tech in video games. <laughs> <laughs> their yeah, rats are right. amazing. I've never seen anything like it. So. Oh man, that's saying a lot, man. Yeah, so, <laughs> you, you know, like the dishonored and the fears and stuff yeah, like that. No, it's the best rat tech in all video games. <laughs> I got I got to check this out, man. Yeah, talk. Delve to me more. What's the last book you read? Uh, I'm reading through uh, Octavia Butler's books now. Um, specifically, I finished Wild Seed, so I'm in her. Uh, I think it's the Patternist series. The whole thing is called. It's like, I think it's four books. And so I usually don't actually read a ton of fiction. I've been just kind of getting back into it recently. Mm. Um, I usually I read a ton of comics, and then I usually read nonfiction. Hell yeah! And so it's kind of like weird for me to go in this in between. But it's been great. Like her stuff is mind blowingly just ahead of anything i've ever seen in sci-fi um oh. and it's like it does this really good job of like creating an analog way of thinking about things that we have in our world that uh, like um like like gender identity comes up in that but without okay. sort of like talking about gender identity it's sort of talking about the nature of like the psychological self almost and then and then wrapping that up in a way that like you could interpret as something about gender identity it's really interesting mm-hmm. it's fascinating super good book i think they're making a show out of it someday so <laughs> okay okay i haven't asked this question and you answered it already so i just want to make sure that we manifest it here mm-hmm. is what other gdc or game devs of color expo talks would you give uh yeah so like i said what i want to do for sure is um how therapy makes me better designer <laughs> hell yeah i'm, uh, I'm signed up it. already i'll fund it i'll fund it bro <laughs> I definitely want to do a part two to game feel. I think there's a whole thing about controls I never got to talk about. Um, yeah, I think I think those are the two big ones right now. I mean, maybe yeah. there's something about the communication metaphor we talked about like earlier of like, you know, good combat feels like good communication. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, because it's like you guys are saying a lot yeah. without really kind of saying anything. Yeah, There's something there, and then there's something about melee combat and dance that I want to kind of expand Ooh. on that. like there's a, there's a couple like connections between like what we appreciate about good dancing and like them I mean, the matching of body control the way we think about like melee combat it's really interesting something there <laughs> absolutely man i mean you know i don't know what your retirement plans are but i would say <laughs> you're probably at the midway point of your career and so there's a lot of opportunity here to to see those come to light so i'm, I'm super excited to yeah to see those kind of come out I'm now not excited to think about being old. So, in <laughs> <laughs> halftime, we're about to start that third quarter, my friend. Um, yeah, that's the magic quarter, though. That's yeah. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. Everything you know, you already kind of got. You're like, yeah. all right, this is how we're gonna. This is how we're gonna crush them on this end. If you have kind of a blank check, two-year runway, whatever tool set, whatever mm-hmm, talent mm-hmm. pool you want to dig out of, what will you build? I've thought about this a lot, man. Ever since I watched Black Panther, it changed, it like switched something inside of me. I was like, I knew I have, I have to do something 
that inspires me the way, or inspires other people the way this movie inspired me. I have to something that Word. feels true to who I am as in every way, right? As Asian American, mm-hmm. as Black American, as person that grew up playing games, person that didn't have a lot of friends, and all this kind of, like all that kind of stuff. I want to bring to the table with other people who are bringing that to the table. And so, like, I think it turns into basically, I want to totally build an environment one day that's like, you know, a bunch of people who don't feel like they fit in in terms of diversity, like bringing people to the table who can truly be themselves and in a place and be safe and make something that is truly authentic to who they are. I think what that brings down to in the game sort of sense is like, it's funny because I don't have like a game I want to make as much as I have mm-hmm. an environment I want to make where people can make whatever they want. But yeah. if it were the, the type of mechanics I would want to at least work on in that kind of environment, I think it would be like bringing the gameplay mastery stuff I've had to spend my time on and bringing that into narrative expression. So like bringing the way, you know, games are telling stories, it's a way more interactive way. Like I, I, my controls matter, the way I'm using my character and moving around and, and interacting and stuff like is less like fixed and it's more like the way I can express myself actually shows up in the story. Super vague, I know, but I'm thinking about sure, it a lot. Sure. <laughs> yeah, man. I just want to, I want to tell more stories through gameplay, basically. And I want those stories to be like reflective of the people who they are in a way that we don't get to see. Like, I want to see like black and brown people tell stories. I want to see, you know, Pacific Islanders bring those stories at mm-hmm. the table that I never, you never get to see. I want to see everybody come to the table and change things. Yeah. That's wonderful, Claude. Absolutely. Right. These are the types of things that only you yourself can tell and mm-hmm. being able to bring other people together to, to create that platform. That's mm-hmm. the type of shit. I'm talking about. Yeah. Someday, Fantastic. man. We're going to make it happen. Someday. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Three dinner guests, dead or alive. Oh, shit. That's hard. Three dinner guests, dead or alive. Top of mind is, I'm just thinking about Black Panther. I'm thinking about Chadwick. Like, oh, man. Yeah. The dude inspired me. And I just, and him working through that pain to tell us something that really mattered to people. I would love to let him know how that mattered to me. Great human. Music's a big part of my life, but it's hard to pick an artist that would I would want to talk to. Touch on music, man. Yeah, but I, but I heard you mention like you know dance and fighting, so that that's exciting. Yeah, I feel like it's gonna be hard to be on the same level than any given artist I'm thinking about. But like, I would love to just understand more of the way Kendrick thinks. <laughs> so, word, word, like, man. His last album made me have to look up a bunch of shit for sure. I had to sit down. I was listening to it, man. It's too yeah, much. Um, and like, what, Take a little that, notebook out and shit. What his work has done to me, I guess, is thinking about how trying to create a lot of stuff, high quality, isn't just about having good ideas come from nowhere. He usually has some kind of structure or story he's trying to tell that's mm-hmm. really personal that then inspires the music, right? And so that's, that's when me think a lot about my, my own creative stuff of like, you know, what is going to drive the, the creativity? Like, it's, it can't just be like, I'm sitting down and thinking, like, I thought of an idea that no one's ever thought of before. It's like, mm-hmm. what's going to inspire that? Where do I get that from? So that's been this one. Kendrick and, and then, Chadwick, that's already yeah. fantastic. And yourself, you got yeah. the music, you got the <laughs> acting, you got the game development. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, it would be someone who has found a way to reconcile with the struggle of living in this country, but finding mm. peace, finding peace with that. And so the reason I say that is, like, yeah, I'm just thinking about people that inspire me and stuff. And like, this is going to sound really lame for a second, but I'll just say it. It's like, my mom, yours, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> my mom, she's like, yeah, Haitian, Haitian came over here and she was like in her 20s or whatever, like figured all this stuff out. Like, she has inspired me to this degree of like, uh, when I think about like all the stuff that I'm facing with, and I ask her a question or think about something or I'm just venting it loud in front of her, she has this like peace with living here and living and being mm-hmm. that like I really admire. 
I'm not saying I want to go to dinner with her because I've done that too many times, but like <laughs> that, like that pinnacle of like sort of like rest and sort of like uh, okayness with like, hey, like, you know, the world around me is, is whatever it is, but I'm here to just do my thing. Like just finding that kind of like piece of yourself. I guess not a person that kind of like resonates with that is like, yeah, I mean, I guess the thing about like athletes and stuff too, they kind of get there too because the whole world's on them, right? Everybody's eyes oh, are on yeah. them. They're just thinking about like how they're going to be the best, how they're going to do the, the next best thing or whatever. Sure. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't have a good third person right. there. Yeah, maybe that's hey, like the so, solid open. two <laughs> with a great <laughs> placeholder car. Yeah, yeah. There's somebody third person. Yeah, yeah. We'll leave a seat right. up. Okay, extra food doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah, man. <laughs> What's a good place for people to connect with you? See what you're up to. Mm-hmm. Ask questions. Yeah, I mean, I'm on. I'm on Twitter. Uh, we can put the thing in the description, yep. but yeah, I'll at Claude Drum. I don't do too much on there these days, but I'm there. If you want to reach out, I've had people reach out to me, ask questions and stuff. I'm always oh, down yeah. to I'm on LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. Share I want to knowledge. get a blog up one of these days. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, that's where I'm at mostly. Yeah. Sounds good, my friend. All right, last question. You mm-hmm. already know. Who would you nominate to fall out of the play area? Hmm. One person I work with very closely now, who I'm, I feel very lucky to have worked with it. The name is Professor. Works with them back at Bungie as well. Is um, it Professor? Yeah, that's the the name they go by right now. And like they inspire me in a bunch of different ways, like the sort of way they can thinking about design as one thing, but sort of the way I think about everything, um, in terms of like, you know, perspective of breaking down how they experience all things like even watching boxing, like sort of thinking okay. about like tarot cards we've walked through together and stuff too. Like, I don't no. know, they're just a much, a much more worldly lived person than I am. They bring that to the table as a designer, which is great. Damn. And then secondly, um, they have fibromyalgia and, and like, that's this, you know, condition that like you could say holds someone back, but they're at the same time, still extremely like not just productive, but creative and like sort of, I guess in that dinner conversation, like they've come to peace with that in a bunch of ways that yeah. seem really challenging and, um, I'm inspired by that, just working with them every day. So uh, that'd be one person for sure. Yeah. I can Thank give you their you. contact stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Very different perspective. Comes from the theater background even. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That helps set the ground for yep, sure. Yep, yep. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for that nomination. Claude, man, this has been more than what I had hoped leading into it. Thanks for taking the time. Yep. Been looking forward to this one for a minute. Is there Absolutely. any last words you have for the audience out there? Uh, man, just, just make games, be cool. I don't know, be cool with each other. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> That's it, bro. Yeah. Wisdom. It's nothing but wisdom. Yeah. Yo, Claude is awesome. Point, period, full stop. He's been around, too. It looks like he's finally found a place that he can call home. You could have argued that maybe that would have been Bungie. But, you know, when a bunch of people leave from your team to spin off and start a new home, it's always an enticing proposition that you have to listen to and check out if the opportunity comes your way. Sometimes you just want to start a new team with a new culture because the sad thing is sometimes the place is too large and too set in their ways to really make the necessary change that the clean slate approach might be the quickest way to get there and get where you envision for yourself and your team. Hearing Claude share his love of Project Spark and how that changed people's lives reminds me part of the reason that I'm here at Epic working on Unreal Editor for Fortnite. Also, when you're working on tools like that, it's astounding how much of the team doesn't dog food the tools they create. It shouldn't surprise me, you know, we've all seen it at the game studios we work at, that we have developers that don't play the game that they're working on. Either way, I finally have a weekly reoccurring game jam on my team on Fortnite every Friday. 
And I'll confess with you all that my ratio is probably closer to 50-50 where I'm actually jamming versus using the no meeting time to catch up or get ahead on a deliverable. Point being, there's a ton of value in game jamming with your team from exposing devs to other workflows, giving them a chance to grow and learn, pick up some new skills, reciprocate that into their role or development plans, and definitely learn things that you didn't even know possible or get valuable feedback and player and user notes. Where do you sit on that wall? Do you wish your team jammed together more? Is it something that you're trying to implement or had and did away with for whatever reason or deadlines got in the way? Or is there something else you offer in its place? Curious, let me know more. I've linked his Game Devs of Color Expo talk from YouTube in the show notes. I encourage you to check it out if you work in gameplay at all. I can easily see myself inviting him back onto the show in the future to talk more gameplay design and to hear what Firewalk is up to. On the next episode of Out of Play Area, we'll sit down with Jason Nobler, a senior software engineer at Lightning Gaming in Philly, Pennsylvania. Always good times when we get an engineer on here, let alone a fellow Full Sail alumni, also a fellow Red Dead Redemption outlaw, and a guy who is an awesome pragmatic demeanor in everything that he does, including working on his own open source Harmony game engine. That episode should debut in two, but... Let's put a safe buffer of three weeks just to be safe. So please make sure to follow us so that you don't miss out on that episode. Thank you for listening, devs. If you found this episode informative, I simply ask that you pay a link forward to a developer or on your social media to help grow our listener base. If you are a game developer with a story that you think could help a fellow dev out, could have saved you time when you were younger, Please go out to outofplayarea.com and click on the Calendly link at the top to meet up and talk about designing your episode. Please make sure to get approval from your manager or studio's PR or HR team beforehand. How to Play Area, the Game Developers Podcast, releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major players, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. Please make sure to follow us to see what developer falls out of the play area next time i'm your host john diaz until next time devs stay strong stay true and stay dangerous flight attendants prepare for takeoff cabin crew please take your seats we are now about to enter the out of play area if you can't reach me i apologize since we out of play i never compromise John D, NYC, know we got the vibe Make sure you hit that follow when you hit subscribe Out of Play Area Podcast Out of Play Area Podcast It's just a little something for the game devs Stay strong, stay true, and stay dangerous Had to switch the styles for a challenge Best thing out of Harlem since Young Miles Morales A new podcast comes to provide the balance Area Podcast, a show by game devs for game devs, with no ads, no BS, just the real. Welcome to the Out of Play Area. Let's go.